Now, I keep calling you out when you lie right in the first 30 seconds of, of, of our podcast. And I do not think we have used tape、um, ever in the recording of the show. So I do not like how you are misleading our fans like that. Well,、uh, that being said. Oh, I mean, unless, unless you have a,、like、one of those giant, like, real to real things sitting in your house, which you might. I don't know. You might be that kind of person. <laughs> I, I, I hear the hipsters love those things.、So. It's, it's all about imagination. Yes.、Uh, I get to be dungeon master on this podcast. It's like,、uh, it's like a virtual DD. Are you, are you a DD person? That's a big no. <laughs> have, you actually, have, you ever, have you ever actually even played?、There's, you know me very well by now. There, you can guess this. There's only one DD game I was ever into and loved. I, I, I don't even have to guess. I mean, I, that's, I'm not going to say it because I, I already know. But okay. Because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of like what class you would be. Because the very first thing, I don't know why, the very first thing that came to my mind is a rogue. Like, I feel like you're a rogue player. That, yeah, that may, be,、uh, that may be fitting. I mean, I mean, like, okay, not DD, but then, but like when you play RPGs and you pick your class, what class do you pick? Oh, I, you know, I guess the stereotypical, you know, there's the knight. Sometimes, you know, if, if we're talking、uh, Dragon's Crown, it would be the lovely, the Amazon. But I don't know, I don't know if that counts. Um. <laughs> So, okay, so what you're saying is you're, you're a butt guy,、yeah. basically, is what you're admitting to. Because、uh, I think the Dragon's Crown actually is the perfect game to determine、um, what kind of girls guys like, right? <laughs> Because if you pick the Sorceress, we know you're a boob guy. If you pick the Amazon, you're a butt guy. And if you pick the Elf, well, we, we know what that means, you know? So, you're one of those kinds. Oh, of yeah. Well,、uh, that being said, before we get.、Uh, Too crazy this evening.、Uh, this evening, we will do our best to make it a generic video game podcast about remakes. So,、uh, at some point tonight, we hope to delve into that and get into the meat of remakes. A lot of remakes taking place in the world of gaming in recent months, recent years. More specifically, we will most likely get into the Resident Evil HD remaster. Which hit stateside on the 20th of January and the second wave of Sega's 3D Ages on 3DS, developed by M2. So that's a little teaser、uh, to whet one's appetite for later. You know, our RSNK episode was really popular, so we should do a remake of that. You know, we should, we should make like an HD director's cut for <laughs> You know, I, I'm actually very glad and very happy you mentioned SNK this evening. Uh, many fans may find this hard to believe, but this is not,、uh, we don't rehearse this show or what we're going to say. And the reason I'm happy you mentioned SNK, and I hope fans take this uh, uh, with as much love intended uh, as possible, uh, uh, maybe a friendly jab, but the SNK and Sega fans, and I do love them, I've, I've recently been referring to them as the SNK and Sega Police. For the,、uh, for the show.、Okay. But hey, that comes with the territory. So,、um, uh, you know, it keeps, keeps us on our toes, making sure we're doing our best, our due diligence. 
Uh, and uh, here comes a little uh, hook. You know, as Shidoshi and I have always said when we discuss Sega and SNK on the show, it's always the full history and be-all, end-all of all knowledge in correlation to those companies. I, I'm just, I'm, this was a very sad week in SNKville because for the first time in a number of years, King of Fighters 13 is not going to be at even. Oh, we are jumping ahead on the format. I know. By the way, that, that was a sarcasm. <laughs> I didn't see that. B- the before the SNK and Sega, please start hitting up the, uh, the comments and message boards. Uh, that was sarcasm earlier. We are not the be-all, end-all for Sega and SNK, uh, though we do love them. Uh, back on uh, Shidoshi's comment here. Well, I knew the day would come. I guess we may uh, we, we might as well start with this. Uh, already been announced for 2015, July 17th to the 19th at Bally's Paris Las Vegas Casino. The official lineup, the main lineup for Evo 2015 has been announced. And uh, on that list, nowhere to be found... King of Fighters 13. Which has been, at least for me, and I know some people out there share my, my, my feelings, has been um, one of the like most exciting games at EVO, just because it has such great like final matches and everything. Well, I could make the argument, I almost want to say it was a show stealer the last two years. I, like last year, I don't, I'm not, no, like two years ago though, wow, two years ago was so good. And I remember those just being such, so dramatic and like so awesome for, for the final rounds and stuff. And I think got way higher numbers than it, they were expecting, but I guess it just wasn't good enough um, this year. And I mean, you know, I, I guess part of it too is, um, you know, I think he hasn't released anything in a long time and just, it's hard to keep that scene kind of alive when the game, you know, has been the same for years and years at this point. I saw a cruel yet funny comment on the Facebook Neo Geo page I'm a part of, and someone said at this point, uh, SNK fans have a better chance of seeing Metal Slug defense, defense at Evo over King of <laughs> Fighters 13 these days. But... But but he, I, it's we could have, we could have a whole show on like which company has fallen the farthest in their time, you know like you put I think Sega SNK and and Sega and Capcom and a few others in there Konami oh lord Konami might take it I don't know maybe we don't need a podcast maybe we just like Konami I, I, you know Konami uh, I know you've said it other people in our circle have said it in private but you know I, Konami doesn't come to mind for me as much I think. Uh, because I feel they're more quiet, like which is probably just as bad. Like I, I feel like Konami, I don't feel like have really made many mistakes per se. But but I mean, but think about but, think about how gigantic they were in the NES era, right. and and how just over time they have just their library has dwindled down to almost nothing. I mean, they are the Metal Gear company that occasionally remembers Silent Hill exists. I was going to say there's two games that come to mind: Pro Evolution and Metal Gear. Okay, Pro, Pro Evolution too. Yeah, you know, but I mean, yeah, I mean, we're stretching things. We're, we, you know, I had to get into a sports title to, you know, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that is what it is. But you know, in regards to King of Fighters and Evo, you know, for me, um, you know, look, I've got a very close friend of mine who's uh, an Evo regular. He's gone over the last ten or twelve years in a row. I'll give him a shout out, Ray Blade X. 
uh, and also his buddy Low Fierce. Uh, they'll they'll uh, they'll be excited to hear their monikers on this show. But you know, it's like they always say, and that they've taught me. Like, there's a lot of great fighting games in the past that I've not seen on the main stage at Evo, or I don't sometimes understand why certain titles aren't given the spotlight. And they always say it comes down to the community and the support. So that's why it's real big for them in their in their gaming and competitive circles that you know titles get in order for them to get the attention and the you know the uh, for one to learn the ins and outs and the tutorials online and the exposure. It has to be supported, and it's really community-driven. So I don't know if that's 100% the case with King of Fighters. Uh, you know, if it's it's really because versus the other nine titles that were listed, you know, that it just got outshined. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that definitively. But I would say, you know, it's got to come down to the, the community, and, and, and I feel bad, you know. Uh, we can't have King of Fighters 13 forever, and, you know, it needs a sequel at some point. I will also say, like I told you in the past, you know, my assumption is that King of Fighters will technically have a presence at Evo, Evo, but it'll probably either be a side tourney or maybe delegated to a smaller Twitch stream from Evo, but it just won't be one of the main focal points. Uh, yeah, because yeah, that's what uh, P4 Arena did last year, I believe. Was it was a side thing where they had they had Twitch streams for it and stuff, but it was just kind of like in somebody's hotel room and everything, right? And that, like, on the official floor. Right. Or, or, or. What is the full lineup for Evo? Well, uh, main event, we've got Ultra Street Fighter Four once again. Uh, not really a huge surprise. I am a little surprised in this next one that it made it back again, although I am happy. Uh, Marvel versus Capcom 3. Were you really surprised by that? Yeah, because at least on the streams in the past, you know, they'll always say stuff like, oh, you know. Then they're saying, you know, the Marvel community's dying and, you know, it's hotter than ever. You know, they always get real excited. But I was a little bit surprised that Marvel made it back in, although I'm happy because even though I wouldn't last five seconds uh, playing that game, it's it's amazing to watch in terms of just how over the top and insane it is. Like, it looks like a mess when you're watching yeah. it. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's really high-level play going on, so I get excited. I always like to see Filipino champ. And to see if he gets salty and what kind of dirty looks he gives his opponent and who's who's going wild on stage. And I think it was Justin Wong last year. While he didn't win, God, did he come back from the dead. It was like this stretch of, I don't know, like four or five matches he had to win in a row. I mean, I would have bet the farm against him. I mean, just there's some amazing matches once it gets down to like the final eight. So, so far we've got Ultra and Marvel coming back. And then we've got... Super Smash Brothers for Wii U. We've got Guilty Gear Xard, which I was kind of excited to see. For me, that'll kind of be my King of Fighters uh, and Blay Blue this year. Yeah, I, that, that, I think that'll definitely... I mean, well, we've got another game coming up that is more that for me, but I think Guilty Gear might take the King of Fighters slot in terms of not super high-profile game, but big enough to have a really good scene to it. Right. I think it'll be fresh to, you know, it'll be new to us this year. Uh, You know, we're not in a competitive scene, so we're not going to know all the tricks by the time we see it. So that should be some fresh gaming. Killer Instinct making a return. Um, And I don't know, and I I don't mean this disrespectfully, like, and I enjoy it, but I don't know if that has any part as if Microsoft is a sponsor, as I, as I know the likes of like Mad Cats, Namco, Capcom, they always sponsor, so I'm not pointing the finger at Microsoft, but I don't know. If that comes into play, Killer Instinct making it in again due to any sort of uh, 
sponsorship from Microsoft. Yeah, in, in my, I mean, I don't, I don't care at all about Killer Instinct, but I have no problem with it being there because I, right. I think it adds an interesting level of variety to the the overall event. Um, instead of, I don't know, having two games from the same franchise. You know? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't have no see idea that I, either. It's not on my list yet. No, no. So, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't be offended by Killer Instinct being there. I, I don't care. <laughs> But. I'm counting the numbers here. Uh, Mortal Kombat X or 10, whatever you want to call it. And that's fine because they kind of just switch between, you know, last year was Injustice. So it's kind of whatever that slot is. And, and again, I not my type of game. But you know what? I think Mortal Kombat at this point is a much better actual fighting game right. than the series has ever, ever been. So I, again, have no problem at all with it being there. And good for the fans of the series. Uh, you want to know what I'm most excited about MKX in the show? And, and I'm not a big MK fan either, for real. I'm excited because the release date of this game to between the release and the Evo time frame is not that long. Yeah. Which to me means you're going to see some freshness. You may see some mistakes on the fly. Uh, as the fighting game community likes to say, you'll see some new tech, so to speak. I, I like the aspect of... Uh, stuff being figured out, you know, more live as we're seeing it unfold instead of practice for months and years in advance. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting that, um, you know, having, because there's going to be another game you're going to announce too that will be like this where it will be super, super fresh. And like, like you're saying, it is kind of interesting in that way because you're, you're seeing people who haven't spent weeks, months, years on this game. Right. So. Uh, next on the list, we got uh, an exciting one here. Um, Persona 4 Arena Ultimax. And I'm, I'm excited for that because, uh, you know, I'm a big Persona fan and I I, I don't play much uh, P4A, but I really like the game and I, I want to play more of it. So it's going to be fun seeing it, especially I have barely barely touched ultimax so i want to see how the new characters are going to do yeah they came out in the states on 9 30 several months ago I, I dabbled in it they kind of fleshed out the roster a bit uh you know they've they uh, gave it a new injection of life between that and its predecessor and i really liked what i played of it another crazy title also uh, correct me if i'm wrong arc system is that shidoshi well, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, Arc System I'm, also does that one, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yes, so, you know, yeah. they ha- they have that knack for craziness over the top. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. And I believe we have two main ones left on our list. And the next one in the lineup, and I'm actually very excited for this for a couple reasons. Not only because it, is it a new entry, but in the form that it'll be showcased. That being mm-hmm. Tekken 7. Mm. And it will be showcased in arcade form. So I'm assuming arcade cabinet. Yes, and I believe the last time this happened was Street Fighter Three. Wow! So it's been many, many That's years. It's quite since a while. The arcade machines, because it used to it used to be all arcade, and they kind of switched to consoles, which was a big, big deal at the point in time. Right. Um. So now it's weird because they're going back to arcade machines. That's going to be a big deal. I, I'm excited because potentially the final eight on that won't all be Bob. <laughs> So that's going to be good, and we'll see if uh, Korea uh, maintains their their strength uh, among the Tekken community. And then last but not least, I know a title you are very anxious for. Mm. <laughs> I am so excited. So Nintendo fans, not only do they have to be excited about 
Super Smash Brothers for Wii U. But Smash Brothers, I don't even know the entry. What is it, Melee? Because it's not even on my main mm-hmm. list. Melee. Yeah, so Melee makes a return. Mm. I know you're jazzed for it. I hate this. I absolutely <laughs> hate this. Um, look, last year I was totally with people <laughs> who were wanting Smash to be on. I'm like, hey, you know, sure, let's have Smash on. Why not? And then it's like, okay, this is the weird N64 Smash. Like, all right, you know, the kids still think that's the best one, whatever. And so now we have a brand new version, which is the game that should be getting the the push, you know. But we do have that, but we also have Melee. Why do we have two? And I don't, I just like, I don't think any franchise, unless your name is Street Fighter, deserves <laughs> to have two chapters of the same game in the show. And even then I would be kind of, you know, not so happy because you're taking away slots from other games that could have it. Like, I don't know, King of Fighters 13. I don't know why I'm laughing so much. Like, I guess I could either laugh or cry. So I just like it, but you know, cause I just, and I don't want to offend anybody cause we might have smash fans who are our listeners, but I just know the people who want this, you know? And then those people who just won't get over, you know, they, they had their version quote unquote at a certain point in life and they just won't put up with anything after that. And they will swear up and down that their version is the best version to ever exist. You know, I mean, like, looky, look, I love Street Fighter Alpha 2 still. Right. I'm not sitting here saying, hey, we have to have Street Fighter Alpha 2 at Evo because I don't want to play Street Fighter 4. You know, shut up. <laughs> Street Fighter 4 is like the newest game. It's the biggest game right now. That's the one to be focused on. Just like the Wii U game, the, the, the most recent Wii U release is the biggest and most recent Smash Brothers. And that's the one that should be focused on. And if you only play Melee, then learn a new game. So here's the deal. I, I have a few things to say. I, I have something to say to Smash fans. I'm going to give a an honest opinion. It's not all bad. But then I'm also going to... You bring up a good point. So let's start with this. If there was a legacy title at EVO that should be showcased, like you're saying, in terms of if a game were to get two slots in... It, odds are it should be within the Street Fighter franchise. I completely agree. And, uh, I mean, the argument for me would be, in terms of, like, the most memorable memory, a game that should be represented, like, even if it's a one-off, like, in 2015, like, hey, this is to pay respect. This is for a title that never got the attention via, you know, due to the power of the Internet today with th- thousands of viewers where this was used to be restricted to a smaller, you know, to just the the casino itself and the people present. Street Fighter 3 Third Strike yeah. should be the legacy title. Or I think people at home, some people could argue, and I'm with you, I love Alpha 2, and I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting with you here recording, but I think many people could make the argument Street Fighter Alpha 3, in terms of all of its options and depth, that would yeah. be a better legacy title than Smash Melee. Okay. Or, you know, you know, um, King of Fighters 98 just came out on PC, on, on Steam. I believe it just came out. I know it's been a big deal recently. Right. Uh, or maybe it's an ultimate, ultimate match version is when it came out. Um, that's still, to this day, one of the most beloved King of Fighters games, you know. But, like, this is, this is like, if, if I, like, last year was saying, well, yeah, you're giving us King of Fighters 13, but that's not enough. 
we also have to have King of Fire 98 because King of Fire 98 was when the system was at when the series was at its best. And I mean, I know everybody's playing King of Fire 13 now, but I still want to play King of Fire 98, so I have that tournament for that too. I, you know, like that—that's what it is. I mean, it's—it's it's like saying just just move on for God's sakes. And I don't care if it's not the version you like the best. Your game is still being represented at Evo. You know, that's what's important. You shouldn't have two different. Oh, I, I just well, putting my thinking cap, my business cap on here, and riding off what you just said. Now that would be a first as well. This would be interesting. Could you imagine that King of Fighters got announced this year? It wasn't thirteen, but it was the ninety-eight Ultimate Match on Steam. So you get a double whammy. Not only would you get a big showcase for a beloved entry in the series, but I dare say it would be the first ever exposed version running off Steam. Yeah. So, like, you you know, you never know if you get a sponsor from them. It would be unique. The first time uh, a PC played title on the main stage at Evo. I mean, you know, we can you can angle this. You can market it. You know, there's more validity in that marketing campaign than two Smash Brothers titles. And, and I mean, I understand last year running Melee. I understand, because that was the first year Smash was at Evo, and they wanted to pick the one that they thought was the best representation of the series or whatever. That's fine. But when you've got a brand new version of that series, you know, and that's the one you should be focusing on, because having that as the focus gets more people interested in Smash, and they might go out and buy Smash, and then you have a better community and a bigger community... That's what you should want. So, like me as a King of Fighters fan, I would never argue for 98 as long as there was a most recent right. important version. I mean, okay, a year or two from now, if we still haven't had a King of Fighters game, I could absolutely say, let's go back to like 98 and have a tournament for that. Because it would be something fresh and also bring King of Fighters back. But if there is like a brand new King of Fighters game that comes out this year, next year, or whatever, then that is the game absolutely that should get the spotlight, even if I think it's not as good as a 98 you know so like put put your support like it's almost and i i again i don't know this is being completely fair to smash fans but it's almost like last year they begged and pleaded to have their game as a part of evo and then they got it and then now this year what they got wasn't good enough you know they they, they like want more <laughs> but again to be fair, what it could be is that could be totally up on the, the Evo side, and that's the decision they made. It just seems weird to me that the people running the Evo tournament would pick and include two different Smash games just because they thought that's what they should do. I don't know. It seems weird. The, the only excuse, I'm going to give an excuse for them, and then I'm going to say something about Smash unrelated to the tournament itself. So here's the deal. Just So I'm not speaking out of both ends of my mouth. Earlier I made a statement saying it's about the community, and if the community shows the support and it's there, then it's kind of fair game. So, hey, if, if the case was that King of Fighters didn't have the support this year or the competitive scene, that's the name of the game, unfortunately. Absolutely. absolutely. Maybe Smash, both those titles have the scene for it. Maybe it's going to pay off. They're going to get the thousands of viewers. They have a rabid fan base. As much as it may be salty for me and as much as I may dislike it, Maybe my anger should be aimed towards the competitive scenes of other games that didn't turn up. So, that could be too, yeah. Yep. So that would be the fairest way, the, the most politically correct way I can think of. But hey, if Smash on N64, G- GameCube, Wii and Wii U, 
had millions of followers, well, maybe they can do a whole Evo show, you know? Okay. Maybe they, if, they can go up and have their own stupid tournament. Right. But but if this is something that's different than that or there are variables that we're unaware of that we may never know of, if there's different things and they're taking up two slots where something like SNK, I feel, should get as much support as possible so we're not only delegated to patchy slot and metal slug defense titles reusing assets over the last 18 years i would really love to see that because i'd like at least one more entry to squeak out yeah i i think i think evo should be about celebrating fighting games and and is that i think it should be one version from all these different franchises you know to to give everybody as big of a variety and as big of a look at the fighting game community as they can and that's 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 really what it comes down to the most. It said if this was another another series, I might not be bitching as much, but I would still be bitching because I don't I don't think any game like if we had Injustice and Mortal Kombat X, I would think that would be wrong too. <laughs> you know, um, if we had Persona Four Arena and Blaze Blue, I mean technically they're not even the same franchise, but I could see why you would say you know how many. How many 2D anime arc games do we need? <laughs> do, you want, do you want me to talk stupid talk? Hmm. Could you imagine if we had Ultimax and the original people? Yes. Yeah. Because somebody's like, no, I, I think Yosuke plays better in the original version than in Ultimax, and so we need both. Now, I, I, before we move on from the Smash topic, maybe I uh, secretly love it because I can't get off the topic. Now, I need to make this clear. I've been a fighting game fan for, I mean, well over two decades. You know, I'm not going to go through all my my credentials on this. I am not a professional gamer by any means. I'm casual. Uh, I have partaken in local tournaments. I've known people that have set them up on a higher scale, yada, yada, yada. Those are my credentials, okay? I, Smash fans deserve... Whatever you know, whatever they get out of this, their enjoyment—it's all about the fun, their love of the title. Now, maybe this is because I'm not a Smash regular, and I and games like Street Fighter and everything that's come out from every fighting game in between—I've literally touched or played since then, with the exception of the Smash series. Now, the point is, I had the Smash on GameCube. I still own it. Years ago, it was my first purchase. Of, in the Smash series, because it came with my modded GameCube at the time. It was a pack-in, okay? Mm. So I played it a little bit, wasn't that nuts about it, and stayed away from the series for years. No harm, no foul. And then there was all the hype. You know, I do own a Wii U, and Smash was one of their AAA titles this holiday season. There was a lot of excitement. It was many years since uh, my last outing with the series. A lot of, ex- lot of cool characters uh, you know, the Duck Hunt Dog, uh, the Robbie, you know, the robot, a lot of cool unlockables, um, a lot of fan service. So I bought the 3DS and the Wii U versions this year. I got I got in on the hype train. And I don't really regret it because it's it's a good experience to know what I'm talking, at least a little bit of what I'm talking about and to have played them. And I will say the Wii U version, visually, the artistic style, and I've said this about Nintendo's artistic direction on their first-party titles, fantastic looking game in HD. I'll give it kudos. But the actual playing of the game, which I am by no means an expert on, 
I, I feel like it can be fun. It, it's it, it has exciting elements. It's it's a visual, you know, like fireworks going on. There's it's it's a it's colorful, great color palette. But at times, if I'm speaking from the gut, there's two things. I mean, it feels like a mess. And I, I want to. I got to know how many people out there, even though it gives you the cursor on screen, the hour as to where your character is. When you're doing these one on four or multiple character battles on screen, you can't tell me that you don't lose <laughs> track of your character with ease. I mean, there are times where I win the matches against the CPUs, and I don't even know how I did it. And there are times, obviously, where that works in the reverse. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of, there may be some hate on that. I'm just speaking from the heart. I'm not dissuading one from getting into Smash. I can see why kids love it. It certainly has appeal. And I think one of the things that may make Smash different from other fighting games is just that. It's different. It's a much different feel. The weird thing is in describing it is I don't feel the controls are bad, which which is odd to say, because it it's it's responsive. It's just the the platforming element, the cliff aspect, the amount of stuff going on on screen. It's even different than that of a Guilty Gear or Persona, because if you think about it, you're always it's all it's still on a single plane. Mm-hmm. But in Smash, it's it, maybe I'm using the wrong word, but it feels like a mess. Yeah, I mean it's just because just the way it's it's a it's a weird game. Like I said, I've only played a little bit of it at this point, but just the way it kind of controls and uh, it it doesn't it doesn't feel precise to me, and that's one of the things I've had trouble getting into. You know, it, it feels kind of just like one of those. You know, old school, like back when when systems only had all these kind of multi tap things, and they had these you know like action beat 'em up. Like I, I'm coming to Poi Poi for some reason. I don't know why, but um, just like all those old games where you just like you have a bunch of characters on the screen, you run around just hitting each other and stuff, and that's kind of what it feels like. It doesn't feel like to me like an actual real deep, dedicated technical fighting game. It just right. feels like a bunch of crazy stuff happening on screen. Right. And I know that's not the case once you actually get the game down, but I just as my opinion of it so far has been it feels very much like that, and I don't feel it's on a technical level like a lot of other fighting games are. Someone made an interesting comparison to me, and it wasn't a one-to-one uh, analogy. But, but when I described what I said to someone else, you know, they, they had thoughts of Power Stone. And I said, yeah. you, know, you know, that's kind of interesting, but I, I, know, I know I'm going to sound like a Capcom fanboy, but from what I remember, you know, but I never felt... Well, I'm gonna. Get, I'm really gonna get heat for this, but I, I thought Power Stone felt better. Well, you know, okay, no Power Stone is really interesting for you to mention because I loved, loved Power Stone the first one. You know, it was a fantastic game, and it and it felt fun, but it also did feel like it had some depth to it and some skill and whatever. Right. And the entire time you're playing, like all you can think of was, man, this would be awesome for a player. Man, this would be awesome for a player. You know. And then Power Stone 2 came out, and it was four-player, <laughs> and I hated it. Oh. Because I felt kind of that thing. is like It felt like it was just too chaotic. Yeah. Like, too much was going on on screen at one time. Too many right. things were happening. It was too hard to focus on on one opponent. And so that kind of lost me. And, and it, it 
that actually is kind of what I feel with um, Smash Bros. to some level. Is that it's just like there's just too much going on at any one moment if you have more than, you know, two players playing. But I think that's why it is an okay fighting game tournament level with two players is because it's more focused at that point. Right. And it isn't just a mass chaos that's happening. Right. Well, I guess we're done uh, getting our feelings out on Smash there. Yes. Now, I don't think I've ruffled your feathers up enough this evening. I know we've got on the the Smash topic, and I haven't done enough stirring of the pot tonight. So I've got a list, and this list is not the most accurate. This is printed on January 10th, so I'm going to give you an exact date, but I don't think a whole lot has changed since then. And on this list are nine titles, but I'm only going to read you seven. Okay. Because the other two, just, just trust me, fans don't are, will not care about the two I'm leaving out. Okay. So I'm going to read your list, and uh, I guess you'll have to wait till I'm done. It's it's going to be very challenging for you to figure out what system I'm talking about. <laughs> and when I'm done um, listing these titles, a couple things. One, is it time to throw in the towel? Ooh. Or is it time to just laser focus and and refocus? Uh, to a very specific market. And we've touched base on this in the past, but when I was in a store recently and I was looking for stuff to reserve, I had the person list me off. Literally, I, I'm like, well, what's coming out for XYZ platform? And when the person listed off a couple of the games, and I'm not kidding you, I said, you know what? I said, you know, I do a podcast. I said, can you do me a favor? I said, can you print that out? I'm not kidding you. I said, because I can make a topic out of this. <laughs> so coming out for this system... Our okay. titles, uh, this is between now and spring, so not, not that far spread out. Titles such as Hyperdimension Neptunia R2. Okay. Criminal Girls Invite Only. <laughs> yes. Some of these we've, we've heard even on this show before, so I don't think we're oh, blowing sure. anyone away yet. But this is where I heard stuff like this, and I'm like, what? Hyperdevotion Noir Goddess. Wait, 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 wait. It's okay. To be clear, this is a list of American releases? Yeah. Yes. This is a yes. That is a yes. Okay. This is from, yeah, this is from as mainstream of as a store that you can think of. Hmm. Okay. Tokyo Twilight Ghost Hunters. Mm hmm. Operation Abyss New Tokyo. Yes. And then another version here of Hyper Dimension Neptunia U. I'm sure that's short for something. But uh, I tell you, the one that really took the cake for me, that made me print, have them print the list for me, I have to say was Hyper Devotion Noir Goddess. I think that's a Hyper Dimension Neptunia game. Another one? I think, I think it might be like a side project or something. Wow. Wow. You know, this, uh, I'm going to do a segue here before uh, I let you guess the system. So in regards to that being a spinoff, and that knowledge of which I do not have. You know, it almost makes me wish that Warning a Huge podcast was back. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I was going to say. Wait a minute. It was a Christmas miracle. That's, it's funny because our last podcast was on Christmas as well. It was two years in the making. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, uh, obviously you're listening to this feed, but in case you don't know how you stumbled upon this feed at radio.morningproject. Don't forget on iTunes to subscribe to either the morning radio feed, which gets you all of the shows, everything from the nichiest to GVGP 
to Classic Miranda's Sweet Shop, and even the returning Warning a Huge podcast, which has a stage 27 now. So we're going to get a little plug in there. We'll talk more about that later. But that aside, um, hyper-devotion to War Goddess is certainly something that sounds like uh, that could be discussed on Warning. And simultaneously, if you haven't guessed, uh, what, what system, what platform do you think we're talking about? Well, you also, I mean, you also have, uh, as uh, Mr. Rocks from Warning Huge Podcast would say, you have uh, Steins Gate coming out for this mystery <laughs> platform, and also uh, Oreshika Tainted Blood. <laughs> That's a new one to me. Yes, and I think a couple other ones. Uh, it is, of course, the Vita. Yeah, so here's the deal. I, I'm not trying to hate on the Vita. Vita owner here. Uh, another uh, another close friend of mine, best friend, huge Vita lover, loves the remote play. I know you're a huge uh, proponent of the Vita. I don't have any issues with it either. I mean, it's a beautiful piece of hardware. Uh, we know the deal. The first run, the OLED screen, uh, it's like two hundred under two hundred bucks now, et cetera, et cetera. Some great titles. Your rule: you don't buy a system unless you've got at least three games for it. Vita certainly has well over three, six, or even eight or nine titles, I would say, worth owning. But uh, I think it's time to face reality, and I don't want to be this person, but I'm going to be. I mean, with a list like that, when I hear it, and I don't wish any ill will, but if I didn't know any better, looking at gaming history, and knowing the state of the industry, I mean, I would think this system's days are numbered. I, th- I, because th- here's don't. how I look at it. If I'm mm, in the okay. store, mm-hmm. as now look, uh, I'm going to give you two answers. Could I sell the Vita? Sure, I can sell you the Vita because of the knowledge I have of the of the system, the games that are out. You could sell the Vita. A lot of everyone that listens to this show could sell the Vita. That's not the argument. But your average your average worker at your mainstream stores, can they sell the Vita? With that list, I highly doubt it. So, how, how do you, how, I mean, uh, and look, there's a market for some, I'm not saying there isn't a market for some of those titles. As a matter of fact, some of the fan base that listen to this network, I can tell you they're probably elated with some of those titles. I, I think the question isn't, can you sell that system? I think the question is, what do you want to do in selling that system? And obviously, this is not the situation Sony wanted, at least Sony of America. And you can tell because they like to act like they forget that Vita even exists. Um, I, the, I guess the thing I was going to say was that just last week, a new PSP game came out in America. Now, it came out digitally only, but a new PSP game came out. And I don't know that that will be the last PSP game to come out in America. And the reason for that is because there is a market for those games for certain companies. Now, if you're an Ubisoft, if you're an EA, if you're an Activision, there's no market for you there. If you're an Xseed, if you're an NIS, if you're an Atlas, if you're Axis, there's a market for you there. And you have, at this, on the PSP, 
because of what it became, you had this kind of guaranteed built-in base that you knew if you needed to only sell 50,000 copies of a game in order to be profitable, you knew those 50,000 fans were there. And the PSP, again, Sony never wanted to become it, but I don't think, I don't think Sony understands, like I think Nintendo and Sony are the opposite. I, I think Sony doesn't understand how to handle a handheld and how to really work on a handheld and how to, how to market it and how to, you know, give it uh, proper support in life and everything. Right. And I don't, I don't think Nintendo knows how to do that for consoles. Present day, yeah, it's really odd. Yeah. So um, obviously the, the, you know, the PSP turned into this basically, you know, uh, uh, if you want to say the, you know, weeaboo is a weeaboo system, right? You know, it's people who, who, who love like these crazy niche Japanese games and stuff like that. That's what it became. And the people who bought the PSP at first, I'm sure were very upset because they thought they were getting God of War and John Madden football and Call of Duty and games like that, you know, and that didn't work. And Sony tried to, uh, you know, take two with the Vita. I think they put more effort into it being Western friendly. We got a second analog stick. You know, we got a more, much more powerful piece of hardware. Right. Um, beautiful, quote unquote, high res. I mean, it's not truly high res, but for a portable, it's, at the time it was pretty high res. Screen, everything like that. And you saw them working on, okay, well, here's a Call of Duty game. Here's a Borderlands game. Here's a uh, Killzone game, Resistance, and things like that. And I think they really wanted to be that. But the problem that the Vita ran into is that the, the West, or especially America, I don't think we want handhelds anymore as a general consumer. Because we all have iPhones now, or we have iPads, or we have Android devices, or whatever like that. And I think the kind of gamer they were targeting with those kind of games, the Call of Duty player, the Madden player, or whatever, they don't want to play games on a handheld. They want them on a big TV screen with the pretty graphics, you know, with the, the visuals that are better than anything they've seen so far. So I, 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 I think Sony was misguided and never thinking that this could be, you know, a... a really supported by the West. And I think if you look back at Nintendo's handhelds, um, they never built themselves off of those games. You know, they were built off of Nintendo games or games that were much more suitable to younger players or games that were much better for getting around just together as a, a, you know, as a group and kind of having fun together with, with whatever. And so I think the Vita could never have been what Sony wanted it to be. And at this point, it has become exactly what I wanted it to be, which is a PSP too. But the thing is, this time around, actually, it's I think it's in a far better position because it's not just a PSP two; it's also now the crazy indie device as well. Um, and so it's it's got that kind of dual life where. If you're into indie games, you could get it Vita, I think, and be happy with it that way, Um, so long as you're not really playing indie games on a a PC or whatever, you know. But I think really its it's core strength is Japanese stuff. And and in Japan, it's a different situation because they have turned much more towards handhelds than consoles at this point. 
and due to not having as much money for budgets and and things like that, it's more attractive for Japanese companies to go to the 3DS or the Vita. And I think like the PSP, I mean, the PSP ended up having this, this gigantic life after death in Japan where the system had kind of died. Then Monster Hunter came along and revived it. And you go over there now and there's still tons and tons of PSP games on store shelves. I'm, um, yeah, I'm assuming the likes of like your God Eaters and your Fantasy Star Online portables and... I mean, uh, to, to be fair, a, like a lot of it at this point are like visual novels or things mm. like that. Uh, you know, but still, like those kind of games, like those are still around, and and you can still buy them and everything. So I I think the like it's it's tough because you're asking how do you sell a Vita? I think in America, if you're at a GameStop, you, it's hard for you to do that. You know, because your store isn't supporting the Vita at this point anyway. So it's hard for you to say, hey, buy this Vita when we have like you know five games on the store shelf. I I think you buy the Vita knowing you're going to be downloading a lot of your games or getting a lot of your games off of Amazon or things right. like that. Uh, and the Vita is for a very specific player. The Vita is not for, hey, I want to play some video games. What system should I buy, <laughs> people? Because if you buy a Vita and you're that kind of person, I think you will be very disappointed, you know, because Sony has said, look, you're not getting any more big titles from us, period. You know, we're, we're done doing big stuff. Um, going forward, it is going to be like, you know, you're, you're reading a, a list of games that come out in stores. And strangely enough, it will still be those crazy Japanese games. But you're also going to have the digital side where you have all these indie games and then all these games that um, are the crazy niche Japanese stuff, but even the ones that can't even really support themselves on a store shelf in a physical form. So it's, like I guess it is, it, it's like how you look at it. Like if you're looking at it as a regular system like everything else, or if you're comparing it directly to the 3DS, no, you, you can't sell the Vita. Like there, there's no way you do that. You sell the Vita as if you are into Japanese games, then the Vita is the platform for you. And there are enough people into those Japanese games to support the games that come out at the amount of sales they need to have. I mean, you look back at Demon's Souls. When Atlas brought that over here for PS3. Um, then it ended up selling like, five, like 500,000 copies or something like that. And that was a monumental success. Right, way over their expectations. Yeah. Yes. If, if you have Call of Duty or Assassin's Creed or something and you sell 500,000 <laughs> copies, you have a tank to your company. Isn't that crazy? Right. right. Yeah. So, you know, you, you ask me why, like, I'm not, you're not directly asking me, but you're asking me, like, why are these games coming out, like Criminal Girls or uh, I'm spacing now Tokyo, on, not Tokyo Underground. Uh, Tokyo Twilight Ghost Hunters? Yes. Yeah, Twilight Ghost Hunters, whatever. It just rolls right um, off the tongue. Yeah, well, the reason being is because, you know what, you sell maybe 50,000 copies of that game and, and you've, you've made yourself a nice chunk of money. And right. Because what you're basically paying for is you're paying for one translating swab to translate the text you pay for a copy editor to, to touch it up you do a few little tweaks and you, you ship out the door you know um so you know that's what the system has become and i am completely happy with that because that's exactly what i wanted and i mean look i at the end of the day i would love the vita to have other stuff too i would love to have 
it have a new Uncharted, for example. You know what I mean? Um, oh, it's uh, actually crazy. I forgot it did have a beautiful rendition of Uncharted at launch. I forgot about Uncharted it. game. Yeah, and I'm I'm Sony Sony Bend. They wanted to do a new Uncharted for the system. Mm. They wanted to do a, an infamous game for the system and a couple other games, and Sony said no. They're like, we're not investing that much kind of money in the Vita at this point, you know. So, I mean, I would love for the Vita to have been popular enough that it had all the stuff I want plus those kind of things, but it's never going to happen. And I, I, I think at this point, I am content with it being what I wanted it to be, which was the continuation of the PSP, because I loved the PSP to death, because it was a system where I could get Steins Gate, finally. It was a system where I could get Dongan Ropa, finally. Or Akiba's Trip, finally, you know, or or visual novel, whatever, finally. So that's what it is, and that's what I want it to be. And I'm sad it couldn't be more, but I'm totally happy with what it what it is. And when you ask me, should it be killed off? Absolutely not, because I think if the Vita stops existing, then I think we lose a major conduit to Japanese gaming because. Japanese developers right now just don't have a lot of options for what to make games for. They don't they don't have the tech or the money or the teams or the skill to do a full level PS4 or Xbox One game. Um so the you know the next place they would turn is the 3DS. Mm. And we I think we would get games even less tech, you know, heavy than on the Vita. I think the Vita is a nice compromise between you know the power and the HDness of the of the consoles that we have now, and the portability but ease to develop for that the 3DS is. So that's where I think it. That's where I think it exists. I think it exists for those kind of games and for those kind of players. Let me ask you this, and I'll say a couple things on the Vita and 3DS here shortly. <clears throat> this just hit me while you were discussing all of that. Okay, so let's say everything's all rosy and the and the Vita has a, a, a credible run. You know, it lasts more years of support no, no. <laughs> your answer is no i know what you're gonna ask go ahead and ask but you really think no. you know what i'm gonna ask i, I think i know what you're gonna ask really yeah, go ahead and ask it yeah do you think sony will do a third handheld no i, I knew exactly really what you're asking and that's my answer is no so you think this is odds odds are this is it from sony on the handheld market <sighs> i i think i think sony has to you know, while you think about that, you know what? And I didn't have this written down. This just hit me. Now, let me make this very clear. I don't want the listeners to think I'm hating on the PlayStation Portable or the Vita. When the PSP first came out, I thought that thing was so far ahead of its time. I, I couldn't believe it. And I actually think that's what made Nintendo kind of up their game technologically with their handheld when the, and revisions when that PSP came out. So this is just for more getting the uh, juices flowing conversation. This isn't about beating up on the handheld, though I do believe it needs discussion. But um, uh, as I lose my train of thought, um, Uh-oh. yeah, that's that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, <coughs> mm. Mm. Wow, that's terrible. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you think. Yeah, um, the... Uh, You got it? No, it's it escaped me. Okay, it's well, terrible. I'll, I'll talk for a second and yeah. I'll, I'll come back to you yeah. if you remember. But now I was going to say the fact that I think I I don't mm, I don't know 
what Sony gets out of just releasing another system unless there is a direct connection that would absolutely benefit their consoles. I think the... I mean, I think the only thing that... It doesn't make sense. I was going to say that one thing that makes sense but doesn't make sense is is it have to be like a combination cell phone or that's what thank you that was some kind of other device that can that was it that you just jogged my memory thank you thank you lord (laughs) so going back i used to own the sony xperia play which Mm -hmm. was dropped like a bad habit in terms of its game the playstation one game functionality thank you very much for phone was the key so in all honesty instead of the vita if I were Sony, I would have gone the phone slash gaming handheld route. And the Sony Xperia Play, which is probably about three years old now, I don't own it anymore. It had the slide out uh, control pad, which was reminiscent of a PlayStation 1 or PlayStation, uh, you know, the, the basics. And it was a great device. And it was a I good. Mean, it, was, it was basically a, a, the PSP Go, but as a phone. You got it. And that's where I think Sony should have kept their focus. Uh, it's as simple as that. I, I, I mean, that's, I don't have a whole lot more to add. The, and the sad thing is, is that it came with Crash Bandicoot, which was, which was excellent. And then there were a handful of other titles, so, like Tekken 2 and others, that were only released in Europe and Asia. So we got stiffed on that in the U.S. They did add the PlayStation a variation of the store on there, which had digital downloads. Some of those are which are available on the likes of like the PSP and more specifically the Vita. But once the, you know, PSP was around 04, 05, kind of made sense still. I mean, smartphones, the advent of the phone was hot, but we weren't in that iPhone droid territory. By the time the PSP wrapped up and you could start to see sales dip in America on handhelds, truly Sony should have put, if they wanted any sort of chunk of the market, should have kept their gaming in the phone market, not on the handheld with the Vita. Well, so here, here's here's what complicates things. Um, I think that Sony is absolutely terrible at supporting their products. Like you're saying right now, there was barely any support for this thing. Um, they had like the minis program. Yes. And now they have PlayStation Mobile, but PlayStation Mobile is getting a weird level of support. But they have indies on the PS Vita, but they're not going through PlayStation Mobile. They're going just regular indies. You know, so like it's very confusing under which way you kind of want to come into this kind of stuff. Um, they are probably, not probably, but I would not be shocked if they get out of mobile phone devices because their 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 cell phone line or division is just not doing well right so by the time this is a question they might not even be making cell phones anymore and even if they did let's say a brand new awesome sony smartphone that has controls built into it somehow how do you convince people to get that Versus an iPhone. Sure. And uh, right. Uh, it's mind you, I'm going a few years back and I'm just speaking of the time frame of, you know, instead of put if with the money they spent probably for the Vita project, 
I would still argue the phone aspect would have been smarter. But right, sitting in 2015 with the state of the industry, the you know the stronghold of the iPhone and the Droid, which arguably on paper might even have a couple points up on the iPhone just due to the amount of different you know variations. It's a rough. I mean, Microsoft is you know they're trying to get a revitalization. Not to get off topic, they're you know they're still trying to get their foothold in the smartphone market, but it is just dominated by the the Droid and the iPhone. Yeah, and I, I I'm really worried about portable gaming and it's funny because before the ds i wasn't really a portable gamer but now i i am in a major way but i look ahead and i see sony probably not having a third portable um so that kind of leads up to nintendo to do whatever they're going to do and i don't always trust them to do it because they like to take the cheap way out when they make (laughs) hardware um and you're seeing more and more right now games going to ios you know somebody uh, I don't know if it was Chris Kohler on on Twitter if he's if he's the one who said somebody was making the tweet about you know remember the the outrage when Dragon Quest Nine went to DS yes just wait for the outrage you'll have when Dragon Quest Eleven is on cell phones mm. you know but I could absolutely see that being the case and that scares me to death because I hate using the stupid touchscreen for everything. Right. And I and I'm very guilty. I got, you know, I got my first iPhone, uh certainly not my first smartphone, but my first iPhone about just not quite 2 years ago. And I'm not going to lie, I got excited. I bought a ton of games on there and I'm not discrediting that. They're still great for time killers. I still play them every once in a blue moon. But I've burnt myself out on the games on the and I'm speaking for myself. I've burnt myself out on the smartphone games. I you know, maybe it's like drugs or ODing, and it always comes back for me. The bulk of my time on my phone is always spent social networking, texting. Yeah. I mean, that's all. I mean, that's all I do on that damn phone. I, I'm I'm like a teenager. <laughs> I'm worse. I mean, the number of texts I do in a month is so embarrassing. But the point is, sure. I mean, is there's the market there for the gaming? But I'm just speaking solely for myself. And when I want to do handheld gaming, I dedicate myself to that with either the Vita or the 3DS. And um, just because I think what happens on the phone is exciting or whatever. But if you're a real, like a real, I hate to use that term, real gamer. But if you're a real gamer, you realize that with few exceptions, the controls on the phone, it's just, it's not even worth my time. Yeah, I, and I mean, there are there are a few games that I've played that... Okay, I think I think there's a few categories. There's the game that controls just fine, but it's kind of something you just play sometimes. Right. Like, um, there's a game that came out recently called Crossy Road. <laughs> what? It's it, it's kind of kind of like a new a new Frogger kind of okay, game. Okay. And I'll I mean, see. it's a fun little game, but it's 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 like what you would consider to have been like a mini game right. in, in a real game before, you know. Um, you're not going to sit and be like, oh man, I can't wait to get back to Crossy Road, you know? <laughs> I think Flappy Birds was a legitimately fun game, but it's it's not like a game game. It's something you play for five minutes and kind of put down y- again. Yeah, right. You know, so there, there's those kind of games. Then you have, you do have some games like you have Space Invaders Infinity Gene, right. which I think is a real legitimate game and it controlled very well on the, the iPhone. Or you have like Cave Shooters, which aren't bad at all right. on the iPhone. So you do have a few games that work, you know, well, but a majority of games are either they dumb down the gameplay 
to make them playable, or they do the we're going to cover a third of the screen in virtual D-pad and virtual buttons. Yeah, that's rough. And those things never work anyway, and it just it's just not a good experience. And I, I am afraid. I'm afraid of that becoming like the the rule going forward. Is like that's where our mobile gaming is, and I don't want it to be unless some sort of revolutionary breakthrough happens. Like, you know, I Apple somehow suddenly makes a controller attached attachment that like everybody supports, you know, or things like that. The, the thing that gets me with it though, the the aspect that people are so forgiving of the the poor controls on smartphones is that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like. When you were younger, like just getting into gaming, like whether it was Atari to the NES in that in that stage early on, I mean, couldn't you tell at a young age when a game just played poorly? Like you might not have been able to dissect it or understand why the game played like crap, but you knew if a game didn't play well, you just didn't play it. Right. And I can't. Maybe it's because the new generation th- doesn't have that same. Um, uh, what's the term I'm, I'm looking for? They, they they haven't had that same foundation to build upon and go from there. Maybe it's because they're starting with what they have on the smartphones, but like that's what I can't get. Like games with poor controls of yesteryear were never given any sort of like free rides or. I, I mean, I, I think let's be fair. I I think there were plenty of NES games we played that had terrible controls. And I think we gave them free rides. But you still had the tactile, um, uh, the tactile controls, the actual physical button. Right. Like, I mean, we're at a point now where we're like, we're not even, we don't even have. It's just bad. We don't have anything. I mean, yeah, it's 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 like I I I'm never shocked at how many kids I see walking through stores, like holding an iPad, <laughs> you know, like sideways. And like just playing games with like their their left thumb on the left side and their right thumb on the right side, you know, doing the virtual control stuff. Just you know what? Maybe kids are getting fine with that, and maybe they're okay with the, these these control schemes. And maybe we're gonna be the dinosaurs in a few years. It, do I get to embarrass myself on this show? Okay. Do you know why you'll never catch me doing that with the the pad? I have a I actually have a Samsung tablet, but do you know why you will never see me in the store doing something like that? Oh, do you like not have fingernail? I mean, uh, uh, thumbprints is that the problem? You're one of those, those people who have like, no thumbprints, and so like you're, it doesn't I, tell your. I'm too it. OCD to. It's bad enough. I've accepted it on my phone. My phone is like the only device where I will muck it up. Mm-hmm. But my DS screen, my tablet screen is spotless. Mm. So I. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't. Actually, you know, you want to know? I'm, I'm opening up here. It's a, it's a revelation here on the Generic Video Game Podcast. You know, one of the reasons I love my Samsung Note 10.1 is because I get to use the specialized pen. Oh. I just can't stand. Li- and I, I am so off topic right now. Forgive me, Shidoshi. I'm but no, li- I mean, like, I mean, but no, seriously, like, you look at, like, the kids these days. Who like go up to your big screen TV and try to touch it? Oh, they think, uh, they think everything's touch now. <laughs> I mean, I, not just for how much that bugs you, but also just because I think we're growing up with a generation who are used to this touch stuff. So maybe to them, touch controls will be just regular controls. Right. You know, they won't know any different, and they'll think it's good enough, and that frightens me. I, I yeah, I hope not. 
Uh, seriously, I, I hope not. I, I, I also freak out when I see people touching the, the uh, screen instead of using the style. That's not as bad, but I, I, the people, the like the laptop screen touchers, oh. those people, and I say this because I live with one, oh, that drives me crazy. And people are like, oh, yeah, that right there. And they're, but they're like pushing your screen. You can kind of see like the little rainbow effect going right. on because they're touching it. And you're just like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Right. Like, you know, what kind of Neanderthal are you that you're touching my screen here? Right. But uh, uh-huh. it's so bad on my Vita because that is meant for touching the screen. Yeah. I'm so embarrassed. And I have for the majority of my touching, I have a smaller capacitive, uh, like a wow. <laughs> That that is that is pretty OCD. You know, what, gotta, you know what else bothers me? Oh, I can't stand touching the Vita and looking at that back. When you're done, it looks like such a mess with all the fingerprints from the rear. The rear well, touch. That, that's why you get you get a little get a microfiber. Oh yeah, off every time. Yep. Uh, which which to close out my OCD this impromptu OCD segment on on my behalf. I cannot wait for the this gloss finish on today's technology to go away. I um oh. yeah, it, it it does bug me sometimes. I like the matte, you know, more the the yeah. t- you know, where you don't I, I really do. I really do like the matte. Yeah, this this glossiness. I mean, you get a new product and or like if you ever look in store certain items on display or they'll put like a new product out with that gloss finish and in minutes it looks like it's like been used for months and put through the mill. Right. I don't even want to touch it because of everyone else's hands being on it. But I mean, let's be fair. I mean, you know, we have like, can you even buy a TV now that doesn't have a gloss finish on the front? Oh, it bothers me. When that makes no sense for a TV because all the light reflecting in your room and everything. Uh, outstanding point, right. Because of reflections, yeah, and- outstanding point. And I mean, but you know what? I was sitting there thinking, I want a laptop with just a matte finish, not a gloss, because it reflects and light and everything. But guess what? I have a laptop with a gloss finish, because I look at it and like, oh, the colors are prettier, you know? <laughs> so that's why I have it. But it makes no sense, because it is. It's like you're looking at something, and you're having like light reflecting off it, and you can see yourself in it and everything, and it's just like, doesn't make any sense, but you buy it because it's prettier. Right. It looks good in, uh, it looks good in photographs. Yep. Now, before we get into our main topic this evening of remakes, uh, getting into a bit of Resident Evil HD Remaster, M2's wonderful work on Wave 2 of the 3D Sega classics on 3DS, I don't think I've done a good enough job of riling you up and trying to get you going this evening. Uh, I wasn't able to do it quite with uh, uh, the Smash Brothers series in Evo, haven't done it uh, quite enough with Vita, trying to uh, outcast it. So before we get into our main discussion this evening, I want to talk a little bit about an upcoming digital title developed by Don't Nod, published by Square, a title called Life is Strange. This is the yes. this is the second baby, per se, of Don't Nod, their first one being Remember Me, which was published by Capcom, a console title, in uh, summer 2012. Uh, did you play that? I did. Okay. Didn't complete it. But uh, I no, really enjoyed what either. I played of it. Yeah. Uh, beautiful art- artistic style by the French developer. Loved the look, the cyberpunk feel. Uh, the the main lead, 
uh, I thought was really cool, excellent. But uh, the reason why I'm getting into Life is Strange and, and trying to get your wheels going is, uh, did you realize that uh, one of the reasons that Don't Nod, not only were they excited, but accepting of Square Enix publishing this title, we finally have some good news coming here for Square, was that many other publishers that looked at Life is Strange, while they were interested in some of the concepts in the game, many, if not all, asked the developer to change the lead from a female to male. Now, I'm not only saying this to stir the pot or stir the crap, so to speak. The reason I bring it up, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, isn't it kind of, like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm nuts, but in 2015, isn't it kind of a little bit like behind the times in that, like, are we still at a stage in gaming where we don't have confidence that a, a good game can sell with a female lead? Is I mean, it's almost like saying, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's almost like, you know, this is a bad analogy maybe, but like, you know, did you, can you believe that in families that there are many working moms as well as dads? I mean, what year, I mean, yeah. we're not in 1950 anymore. I, uh, I mean, it's in, 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 I'm trying to remember because I feel like they had the similar problem with, um, uh, remember me. I think you're correct. Because the main character is female. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, you know, this is a, especially a weird conversation lately with the things that have kind of been going on, uh, whether or not gamers are truly ready. But, you know, I remember back when, um, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas was announced. Mm-hmm. And it was announced the main character was black. I remember seeing a lot of people on the internet who were very, very mad about that. And their argument was that they had no connection to black people, so they couldn't they didn't want to play as a black person. Wow. Basically the the the, the thing and I mean that sounds that sounds harsher than it should be, but also not as harsh as it should be. Um, that, you know, well, I'm not black, and so I don't want to play the black person because that does not represent me. But, you know, then, of course, <laughs> then you argue, okay, what about all the gamers who aren't white, male, and straight? You know, like, where are the characters that represent them, right? If they're feeling the same way you do. Right. It's... <clears throat> I, I don't... I don't... Okay, so I think the problem, part of the problem is that for so long, game characters were, you know, targeted towards a certain kind of player. And that player was white teenage boys. Maybe not say white, maybe that's, maybe that's not fair. Maybe saying white's not fair. Maybe saying teenage boys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you get games from Japan, and obviously Japanese games wouldn't be targeted at white boys, but... The weird thing about Japanese gaming is, or in Japanese media, period, is you often see characters that don't seem like they're Japanese, right? Yes, there's, yes, that's a whole other conversation. But yes, right. yes, yes. So if I'm playing Solid Snake, to me, he's not a Japanese guy. He's just kind of like, he's, he's like a white guy, right? Because right. you don't, I, I don't, I mean, I know he has like whatever, I mean, the, the way they get around it is, Every character, white character, has like one-eighth Japanese blood in them or something like that, you know. 
they always have some like some percentage somewhere, yeah. yes of japanese blood the, if they're from japanese game but um so you know they were making games so their games often featured what seemed to be white male characters and always kind of the, the you know the power fantasy the big the big burly guy with the gun who's killing aliens or saving the world or whatever like that and so I, I think just by nature you kind of attracted a certain segment of gamers and now that gaming is getting more diversified the there's still this i think stereotype and mentality both of what a gamer really is um i have a i have a good friend back home who's black and he's he's been into games as long as i have and i remember a few years ago i was back home and we were talking and this is something I I notice a lot more now, but maybe I didn't notice as much before. But he, he said, you know what? Whenever I go into a character creator, default is a white guy. Mm. So what games are telling me is that being white is default. I never thought of that. And that was like a really like powerful comment to hear from wow. somebody. You know? And I was like, Wow. You know, if I was him, I could totally understand that that being bothering me. You know, the fact that, um, you know, de- default what is considered to be what the game defaults to, which is so if you make no choices, this is what the game's going to give you, is always a white dude. You know, um, I mean, some games are are kind of good about randomizing it, right? Which is always cool, but yeah, and so I, I think there's still this mentality of developers assuming what the player base is and i'm not blaming this on on the player base i think there are some gamers who are very anti-diversity in their gaming because they want to play as something that represents them Mm. and that's great for them but like i said you're leaving off everybody else then leaving everybody else you know everybody who's not male who's not white and who's not heterosexual like all those people are being left behind in that conversation that's not everyone no (laughs) surprisingly not it's not everybody uh you know those 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 players want characters like them too so you know it would be interesting on these games if your their default was a wireframe yes (laughs) you know what i mean right that would be yeah yeah until you until you pick things right um and i think you know it's tough because I, i can't speak from having sales numbers right but you know, I look at a character like like Laura Croft from Tomb Raider, right. and I know a lot of male players who love playing as Laura Croft, and I know a lot of male players who love playing as Samus, or, you know, from Metroid. Yeah, I still think that's that's another topic. That's one of the greatest, like, just the way that was done to fake people out. And yeah, yeah, that was that's an all time. Yeah, that was but, good. But at the same at the same time, I also have seen a lot of players who get very uncomfortable the moment a female character, if they're playing a female character, is put into a relationship. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, if if the player is forced to have a relationship with a male character and they are playing the female, I've seen a, a decent amount of people who get very uncomfortable by that. So I think there is also, on the, on the player side, I, I think there is some... Uh, you know, hesitation to kind of play outside their comfort zone 
and the thing is, is, you know, if you're not a, somebody who, who falls into those three groups of being white, male, and, and heterosexual, or whatever other groups, you know, it could be religion or whatever, um, you kind of have to play out of your comfort zone a lot of times. But, right. you know, for that group who has been seen as being the core of video game players for, for a long, long time, I think companies are still afraid to do anything that might not attract that group. And I think the problem with this game is not only that they're they're female characters, but I think they're also high school students. Uh, that sounds about right. So that, that seems like an even bigger sale to people, right? It's like, yeah, you're going to play girls in high school. <laughs> and I'm sure some guys are like, no, did that just, it's not interesting to me at, at all. But I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because I, I, I would put the blame first and foremost on companies. Right. Because companies, uh, what, what players accept is kind of dictated by what companies give them. And companies only give them a set amount of games and a set kind of style of game and a set style of hero. That's what players are going to assume is the default character, you know. But if companies start pushing that more and start giving us different kinds of main characters, then players will soon just come to expect that their their main character is going to be different, you know, different gender, different race, different religion, different sexuality, whatever. Um, but, you know, I mean, the same thing isn't true in in like Hollywood, right? Like how many movies have like female leads and how often is it that you'll hear, you know, that this, this movie can't have a female lead or they have to have a strong main character, a strong male character to back them up because people won't come see a a female led movie. Well, before we get back on track with the gaming, the gaming aspect speaking, you mentioned that So Hollywood and female leads, I heard this on another show, non-gaming related. You know, the big thing is now is that I would say there are female lead roles in, in Hollywood, but I think a big issue right now is a lot of those roles are for young 20-somethings, and there aren't really any roles for older actresses and whatnot. Yep. Right? So that's, that's a big issue there. And... Uh, my feelings on Hollywood, they've got different, uh, that's certainly, that's certainly an issue. That's period. That's, that's an issue. The other issues they got right now is that that just, well, that well is so damn dry Hollywood in general with the same three movies they keep putting out that that's, that's a different topic for another day. But, but right there, there's a parallel there. Uh, I have a very inappropriate comment to make before I get serious again, you know, speaking of, females and gaming and, and the relationship aspect and feeling uneasy, you know, I, I never really experienced that. And I never had that issue upon seeing uh, that ending with Nina Williams and Anna in Tekken 2. I don't know. I'm not sure if I know which ending sh- you're talking about. The shower scene. Oh, is it? Is <laughs> you it remember like that? I'm in the shower and then like walks in or something? Yeah, I'm, and... I'm being a butt, so... Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was. But all jokes, all terrible jokes aside, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I, well, first off, with with Life is Strange, you know, some elements remind me of, uh, and I know you're going to learn more about this title firsthand. Some elements remind me a little of uh, Beyond Two Souls, from what I saw, in terms of some of the life aspects. But then it also seems one of the main pieces, uh, mechanics, is a time manipulation 
uh, rewind type aspect, which I feel was birthed in uh, Remember Me. It looks like they're t- at least for this team. I'm not saying that's the first time that was ever done in gaming, but you know. Right. So I, I won't say much more beyond that because I know you're going to be learning a lot more firsthand, and we'll be able to talk about that more on a future episode. But well, I mean, I would, I would say, I would say that my feeling is I want more diversity in gaming that's because it because when you when you give me when you give me more choice in characters you have a much better chance of of me playing your game and being invested in your game um but i also don't believe that i should force developers to to do what they don't want to do and so if they want to have a main character who's male i think that they should have that right to do that and then I might just not be interested in the game because of that. But at the same time, if they want their character to be female, I think they should have the right to do that. And then the publishers should back them up on that choice. Right. So I, I think it goes both ways. And I know one of the arguments going around kind of now is this belief of, oh, you know, some s- segment of people want to force developers to to add inclusiveness to everything and something like that. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I think like right now I'm so addicted to Dragon Age Inquisition, you know, and Bioware is a company who has decided that having a wide diversity of characters in their games is what they want to do. And because of that, they have found a fan base for their kind of role-playing games. And so more power to them. And I want to play their games because of that. But you know, you have coming up The Witcher 3, mm-hmm. which has a set main protagonist, you know, uh, Geralt, and he is very male, and he, I'm sure, is going to, again, sleep with a lot of women and things like that, you know? <laughs> and for people who want that kind of character and that kind of RPG, they should be able to have that, too. So, like, I'm again, I'm not, I'm not saying we should force developers to have to right. make their games the way we're saying. I'm saying... I want developers to have that choice. And if their choice is to have a a white, male, straight, Christian character, you know, or, or whatever he is, uh, American character, um, they should have that right. But if they want to make the character very different than that, then they should get support in that as well. We, we can't support only one of those two options. Right. We have to support both. And so no matter which side you're on, you have to support both. And I think too many people on one side don't support the other side, and that is guilty of both sides. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I pretty much agree with, with what you have to say. I just, I don't know, I'm just shocked that it's still such a prevalent thing with especially with the abundance of female gamers present day. And, you know, I think if, if the female character is taken seriously or has something to offer or depth, um, I, I don't see why that's an issue when the proof is in the pudding if it's a solid title. I think there's bigger issues if the game is just plain bad or certain things don't, don't feel right. But in terms of the character and, and, and that aspect, um, yeah, I, I don't know why they don't let that run with the ball but I more mean- often. Naughty Dog, Naughty Dog, who is probably one of the most respected developers currently, right? Who is Sony's golden child, right? right? 
like if there's any comp- if there's any developer I think in Sony's wheelhouse who gets to do whatever they want to do, it's 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 Naughty Dog, right? At this point, even they ran into problems of putting Ellie on the front cover. I, I had a feeling that was going to come up. Yeah, of it's, The Last of it's, Us, right? You know, this was a game where she was just as important of character as Joel was, and they wanted to her- take her off. And then you look at the the community now, and everybody loves Ellie, right? You know, but they had to fight to get her on that cover. And that's where that's like, again, you have like the best case scenario for a developer and even they get that, that pushback. So I think, I think it isn't instead you can't just blame gamers. It's also a publisher problem. It's, it's a people up in suits somewhere looking at just a spreadsheet of numbers and making decisions that way and not really having that connection to the game gaming community and really knowing like how to relate to players and what players are going to take away from a game. Right. And I think, you know, with, with Life is Strange, I don't think Remember, Remember Me did super well. I don't think so either. So I think part of it was, you know what, it's we, we don't want to take another leap of faith on you guys. So we'd be more willing to if you had a safer quote-unquote game. But... Uh, it, it... Totally valid point, and I think, and correct me if I hope I get these names right, because you got, uh, let's just say recent memory we've got, you know, we're talking about at the forefront of gaming and games that have cleaned up on awards. You've got, there's the remastered, the revitalized Tomb Raider with the much more realistic uh, and proportioned Laura Croft. Uh, You have, what is it, Clementine from uh, (laughs) The Walking Dead was huge. You've got Ellie from The Last of Us, the Bioware titles that you speak of that I know a lot of other people in the gaming community have heard uh, discuss at length. I'm, I'm not I'm not a Bioware aficionado, but uh, I do talk to people that are heavily invested in it. And but like those are four huge examples. While not um, while not the main character, I believe because you have a choice. I'm not an expert on this either, but like Borderlands has some strong, you know, uh, female options at least. Um, so the the point is, is there's a there's a lot there are a lot of games at the forefront with strong uh, female leads. So it's just crazy to see that come up still, you know. At the same time, though, you know, you look at a Mass Effect, a game that was, I think, really pushed the idea. Well. It's tough because you know the first the first two Mass Effect games, all the marketing I think was heavily pushed on Commander Shepard being a, a male. Yes, right? but as soon as you play, you get the choice, and you know I, I mean I, I know obviously I'm 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 prejudiced in this in this this question, but um, I I like to think that a lot of people believe that the v, female voice in Jennifer Hale was the better vo- vocal option for Commander Shepard. Because uh, the guy was a little bit dry and, and you know not not as mm. enthusiastic and stuff, so you had the option to gen- gen- of genders. You know, you had who the character, the voice who, that was lauded as a better choice, and then still you look at kind of reports from after all of a sudden done, and I think that female shepherd players were only like eighteen percent of players. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was something that I think it was that low. That, that, so every, every everybody else played a male shepherd. Ooh, that's kind of, no kidding. So I I do I do legitimately think there is a problem um, with guys playing female characters at least 
in some respect. Can I say, I may mean, I say something really dumb with nothing sure. to back this up and we're not looking at numbers, either of us right now? Could have a lot of those players been females playing as male? Or a chunk, um, a chunk? Here, here's why I say that. And this sure, is going to be a horrible, this is be a horrible like, this is like from being around town or whatever, but like, I feel like there are a lot of female Mass Effect players. So, I, I, I believe so too, yeah. Yeah. And, and like, and you're saying, uh, um, this is so embarrassing to me, what is it, the Dragon Age? Inquisition. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like there's a lot of female players of that as well. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is Bioware seems to have a a rabid female fan base, but maybe those numbers, once you lay them out, while large, are still smaller than the amount of males that purchase their titles. Maybe the argument I can make is maybe because those titles sell in the millions, that if you're hovering around 20%, while that's a fraction of it, maybe that's still... Maybe that's still several hundred thousand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm trying to justify yeah. this because I feel like Bioware has a lot of uh, female players. I, I I feel like they do. Yes, and it is a good question. Like how many female players play as male characters? Um, you know that that might just be their preference. You know, just just as I'm sure you have male players who play as right. Shepard. Right. You know, but you know, now it's funny because I was thinking about okay, why did Laura Croft? get popular well to be fair she was kind of like a sexy character at the start right yeah i was gonna say the same thing right and why did samus get popular well at the start you didn't know she was right so it's kind of interesting that like some of the more popular female characters in gaming you know they had those hooks to get people in i feel the samus one was genius Uh, you know the argument one could also make as well you know it's kind of tricky because you don't really know she's female and it's not really exposed. But I always felt the Samus thing was genius because that was like, that was in the mid 80s. And then like, how unexpected, well, I don't know. I, I just thought that was really well done and way ahead of its time. And this may be a perfect plug for uh, this upcoming week for we, you owners. The opportunity strikes again. Uh, the highly sought after out of print Metroid Prime Trilogy on the original Wii becomes available for digital download on Wii U later this week, and it's half off the first week. I'm assuming it might be ten bucks, like their other Wii digital releases, but don't quote me on that. So anyway, quick met- one of the, one of the few things Nintendo actually did right <laughs> this month. I am I am shocked because yeah. because the problem the the thing about them releasing. Metroid Prime Trilogy on the Wii U as a digital download is every every part of that equation makes sense. And it's very strange for me to see Nintendo doing something that makes sense. You know, like that's, that's, that's like a Sony move, like a, a Microsoft move, not a Nintendo move. And did they not say in their Nintendo Direct that those Wii titles which run off the main Wii U menu, that one has the ability to now use the gamepad and oh, I don't know. I could I have sworn. Sh- I could have sworn they said that. Because what's interesting is, um, I know on the Wii U that you can you can still um, custom firmware the Wii portion of it. What do you mean by that? Because it, the since it it runs the Wii in a sandbox, so basically it emulates the Wii. Yeah. You know how you can put custom firmware on the the actual real hardware Wii? 
You can do it on. Abu- I think I've heard it's heard. kind of frowned upon, isn't it? Yeah, it's frowned upon, but you but you can actually do it because basically Nintendo can't update the the Wii portion of the Wii U, but because it is sandboxed off on its own thing, they're kind of leaving it alone. Okay. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if these if these Wii downloads are kind of like separate outside of the Wii emulation. I don't know that. I mean, like, I mean, do you have to boot up the Wii section in order to play them? No. Yeah. So they have to be like separate things. Mm. So they must be emulating the Wii outside of the Wii emulator. Oh, I see what you're saying. Hmm. Be- because yeah, because once you boot up the Wii emulator, it's running its own thing, and it, it doesn't connect back to the Wii. Yes, because when yeah, I see what you're saying. It. When you exit out, it gives you the choice to go back, but it's, then it like reboots. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's it's kind of like uh, if you play PS2 games on the PS3. Yeah. Like once that boots up, like you're not in the PS3 right. anymore. You're like in your own little area, and then you have to actually quit the entire thing to go back to the That's right. PS3 portion of the system. Yeah. So I mean, and I would have tested this by now. I'm just biding my time for their first release was Super Mario Galaxy 2, which I already own on disc, so I didn't do that. And then this past week was Punch Out, which I did not do yet, but I do want to the Wii version. Mm-hmm. And then Metroid is this week, but I mean, I'm definitely doing Metroid, so I'm going to find out. But um, I will say, to rain on the parade, to bring in the negativity, I will say there's one little issue with these. I looked at the file size for Punch-Out just as an example, and that thing is like 4 gigs. Oof. But, but, and, and, but you know where I'm headed with this. Yep. We don't have – I mean, here's the thing. I've got the space. I, I've got the 32-gig drive, and I have a lot of download games on it, but they're like SNES files, so they're only taking up like – I'm gonna highball it. Let's say I have a gig of games. But like once we get into once we start getting into these real deal games, I mean I've got 16 gigs left on my system. A couple couple Wii games knocked out. I'm actually worried as to how big Metroid Prime Trilogy is gonna be, if I'm being honest with you. Oh yeah. Because that's three games. Technically, I mean the space like that that had to be a rather large DVD, I would imagine. I'm going to guess between six and eight on that. Maybe I'm high high on that, but I mean, I, that's uh, you, you see where I'm headed on that. Yeah, and I, I just I, I hate that. I hate that the solution is just like a external right. um, hard drive. You know, like I just <laughs> I just I don't I, even just give us like you know SD card ability. The, technically, I have an SD card in mind, but that's primarily for the original Wii download games for extra space. That's a whole other conversation because even though there's more space on the Wii U drive, the original Wii uh, icon, you, if you want to call it that when you run it, it gives you the amount of space to store the digital download games as if it was a real Wii. So that runs out rather quickly, even though your Wii U drive is larger, and then I put in an SD card. Is that crazy? Hmm. Is that nuts? <laughs> is that nuts? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Is that nuts? But the other thing, aside from that, speaking of add-on attachments and hard drives, did you see the third-party device coming out for PlayStation Four later this year? I did. I was excited for it. I was really jazzed for it until I looked further into it, and I don't have the name in front of me. Very professional of me. 
uh, was it Nyko? I wanted to say it was Nyko. Yeah, okay, I'm it was Nyko. And but I didn't realize you have to take the cover off your PS4, and I think it replaces the drive that's already in there. So I would imagine yes. that turned me off right there. Yeah, and it's so funny because the ad says like. Like our 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 great design is oh, I've I've got to read this to you now that you're now that you're talking right. about it. Um, so yeah, say, say talk talk more about this. Yeah, so I mean, it looked you know the design of it wasn't too bad. It kind of is in line um, aesthetically with the PS4 console. It obviously is another layer for that side where the hard drive sits. So I don't know. In my brain, I felt like okay, maybe this is on top of the system itself. And technically it is, but it I believe you pop the cover that covers the hard drive that's already in there, and then this has a hard drive or the one that you put in there, the upgraded one of its own. So you're snapping in the new hard drive into the system, and then this cover slash bay is atop that. So a little bit Frankenstein-ish, not too um, you know, non-aesthetically pleasing. But the turnoff for me, and it's out of laziness, is that, oh, do I have to transfer what's on my hard drive already? Or I can just re-download it. There's not a whole ton of stuff. But in my mind, the laziness is, oh, it's work. You know, why can't someone, and I know it's probably copyright-based and, and things of that, but I'm going to say it, with how close today's consoles are to that of the PC world in terms of RAM and specs and chipsets, why can't someone just give us a traditional external hard drive option like for PC or Mac? Why make us jump well, through I these mean, hoops? I mean, the Xbox One does that and the Wii U does that, right? I, I haven't tested it firsthand, so I don't know. Yeah, how, I, mean, I, don't know. I, I think the PS, I think, I think the PS4 is the only one that doesn't do the external drive. Well, then, I'll- But that's actually, that's actually what I don't like on the Wii U because I don't want an external drive. So I actually just, like, I want, on the Wii U, I want just some way to boost the internal storage like I could on, on the Wii itself. Right. I guess the argument there, the easiest way with what we're given, if it could read it properly, you know, those SD cards do get as high as, like, 256 gigs now. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're a little expensive if you want to go that high, but you can. Right. But you know, I mean, like, like, yeah. Why, why could I not just put in, let's say, you know, if if I get a Wii U that has thirty two gig inside it, why could I not then put like a thirty two gig SD card in there and have kind of both, right? Right. And like I said, there's an exception in mine. I have a card in there. I think it's 16 gigs if I'm not – well, I, I don't know. It's 16 or 32, but it's primarily for the Wii end of it for digital downloads from the old store. But – and it's kind of – Yeah, I mean because I, I borrowed uh, Works 1 in order to play Bayonetta 2 when I was in it for review. Uh-huh. And I had to basically just dump everything from our internal storage because um, we had a 32 gig, gig – system oh i see i, I to, see i had to get rid of everything because it just i couldn't couldn't fit it on there oh it was a digital download for bayonetta 2 yeah wow yeah. how big was that if you don't mind me asking mm, like, 
it was i think like eight wow gig or something yeah like so that. that was a good size full that would have been like a full dvd pretty much but we had i think we had like one other thing on the system that i didn't want to delete so we basically had two games on the system at that point and that was it wow and of course i cannot find this press release anywhere um, but yeah, it was, it was funny because the press release for this, this drive, see what it does is it actually, it lets you use a 3.5 inch drive mm. on the PS4 and it basically sits on top. So you have, you have like a, this unit sitting on top of your system and it was just funny because like the press release is like, you know, our, our product, you can't even tell it's there, you know, cause the way it blends in with this, this system, it's like, no, it doesn't, but I can't, I can't find it. Right. Funny quote, so. But no, I, I think storage is going to be a big problem, you know, because I, mean? I, I, I went all digital with the PS4, the generation, and I think two months into my owning one, I upgraded to a one terabyte drive. Wow. Because I was like, I'm just going to get out of the way right now. Right. Um, and if I, if I downloaded every game I owned, I, it might be full at this point. Yeah. So it really is. It really is a kind of like you have to, you have to delete games that you aren't playing anymore off your system, and download them again later on if you want to play them again. Which isn't the greatest of solutions, right? But it's gonna be. It's gonna be a mess. I'm, I'm very mean, close to that right now with the standard yeah, drive that's in there. Like, I'm very. I don't even use my X. I do not have nearly as much stuff on my Xbox One than I do on my PS4. Yeah. And my Xbox One is already down to 200 gigs. But but that's with that's like with I only own two physical games on that system. And I've done well, Yeah, and I that, that's probably, that's probably part of the problem too is that now you have to install all your games. I don't like I I'm not crazy about that aspect. That's B, to me that's BS and that's part of the reason why we're going through these drives so quick. That's bull crud. I don't know how you feel about that. It's. I mean, I can understand why they're doing it, but I I liked last generation when the Xbox 360 gave you the choice of doing it. You know, now that it's forced, um, it is kind of a big deal, and and it's going to be very easy to run into. Like, even you you will have the disc based version of games. And you'll still have to like reinstall them every now and then because you've already, you know, you filled your hard drive up too much and had to delete old stuff. Well, I'll turn the tables a little. I'll say something nice about Nintendo. I've got about a dozen games on Wii U, and I've got that minuscule 32 gig drive on my Wii U. And of those dozen games, there's pretty much zero data install on any of them. Now, mind you, that's DVD medium, not Blu ray. Okay, so we'll get that out of the way. But. There were many games last generation that ate up realistically between 2 and 5 gigs. But I will give Nintendo credit on that aspect. There's and nothing I have has ever installed. Which leads me to believe I wish that the Xbox One and PS4, if you own the discs, while I understand if some data had to get dumped, that's fine. But when you're dumping 30 to 50 gigs a game, that's unacceptable. I'll tell you what's even yeah. more unacceptable. These update patches on games that are ginormous. <laughs> when you get a three gig update, and there's some games that have gotten numerous ones, 
to me, that's not an update. That's a whole new game. So I was I was in the like not this not the weekend we're recording this on, but the weekend before there was an Evolve beta. Okay, yes. And I was downloading it for the Xbox One, and I I think it was like was it actually like thirty gig or something like that? Fourteen gig between between let's say let's say between fifteen and thirty gig. I don't remember how much it was, but it was it was a decently sized beta. But to the point you're like, why is a beta this big? You know. And I started it in the morning, and at the end of the day, at the end of a day of having the console almost on, almost completely on, like, every single moment of that day, <laughs> I was only at, like, 87%. Wow. And so I'm like, okay, this sucks, but I'll, I'll pick it up the next day. Right. So do you know what happened? Between nice. when I had started downloading the beta... And when I turned my system back on to finish downloading the beta, they released an updated version of the beta. Oh, stop. That was basically you re-downloading 15 gigabytes Oh, come on. So I then had to... So I, I was like... So when I turned my system off, I was at like 87%. Mm. I'm like, okay, I'm finally going to be done with this the next day. I turned my system on. It's like, you're at 2%. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what's going on? And I realized they did an update. So then it took me an, another whole entire day to get that, that beta downloaded and playable. This was on Xbox One format? Yeah. I got to tell you something. I, I know you're going to think I'm nuts, but there's ghosts and goblins in my Xbox One because that thing at night, most nights, is going all night and my system is, quote, off. Now, it's not really that bothersome now that I understand how this thing works, but for better or worse, I know that thing is downloading patches and updating pretty much all the time. So I'm actually a little bit surprised in your situation. What am I trying to say? I could see during the day being aware of what was happening from what you're describing, but did you have that? Well, was it doing work at night, so to speak? I can't. I don't know what I did, but I did something so that it's not downloading anything at night. I don't think. How weird! Because like 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 my PS4 will, will be will work perfectly, and like it's so funny because I swear that like everything about these two companies has switched from last generation. Because last generation, like Xbox Live was super super fast yes. in downloading things, and PS3 was like ungodly slow. Yes. And now it is the opposite because I I can I can get, I downloaded oh Dragon Age Inquisition right, which is a, a huge game mm-hmm. i got that in like 40 minutes on, on the ps4 it was like just downloaded and done like really quickly but the xbox one is super 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 slow and my ps4 works perfect in terms of i i turn it off and it does everything while it's off when it needs to um i set things to queue from the computer and they're already done and downloaded when i get back to my ps4 but my xbox one i cannot get it to do the kind of nighttime stuff, and I don't know what I did. See, and it's interesting, and I've just come to terms with it to just accept it, but I could have sworn I went back into my options once I found out that the thing was on to where I thought I truly have it to off, and I must mm-hmm. not because I can I can hear it at times, and I just I can hear it. And there was mm-hmm. one night about a month ago, I think I said this on the last episode, it only happened once. It literally turned on at two in the morning. Hmm. No joke. Like it, I, I mean, like that light 
came on and I, I it woke me up in the middle of the night because the only console I keep in my bedroom is the Xbox One just due to the way it works out with space and my entertainment. But, but okay, so so I mean, but is it doing your updates for you? I mean, because the problem I have is whenever I, I swear whenever it, I turn it on, it needs updates. No, it must be. I, I'm going to say yes. But yes, it, yeah. it has to be. Because there's been a lot of updates for the Xbox One in recent months. So yeah, Without question, it has to because when I go in there, I usually don't have any... And I remember when I downloaded Titanfall, which was the first big digital game I downloaded around Christmas. It was on sale. I remember like maybe I sat there for half of it and I was like, oh, man. And then I shut it and I'm like, well, maybe it'll pick up the next time I turn it back on or whatever. Like I didn't care. I just wanted to go to bed or whatever. But it was done. Like, so, Which leads me to believe that that thing kept downloading when, you know what I mean, when I was, quote, yeah. done. Yeah. Like all my Killer Instinct updates when they update the new characters and stuff because I don't touch that game every day, maybe once a week. When I go back in there, all the new characters and everything are in there. Yeah, so I said I I think it's doing what it's supposed to be doing as it's at night turning on. But yeah, I feel like the PS3, because the the thing is from my understanding, I'm sorry, the PS4. The PS4 actually has the, the other like CPU inside it to handle downloads. So I don't think it needs to turn on as much as the Xbox mm. One does. Because I know with like the Xbox 360, right, when you had it still downloading when you turned it off, the system would actually still have like the, the light on and the fans and everything. Oh. Yeah, I never did that with the 360. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why the PS4, you don't realize it as much because I think that extra hardware inside it does help it go into super low power mode where when it needs to download things it's it's not having to kick the entire system on whereas the Xbox One does I believe mm. yeah, interesting well you think it's about that time to get into uh, the main beef do. of this evening because we, we were like oh we're only going to be talking about it in an hour it's not going to be any big deal <laughs> we're like well what are we at? Uh, I, Hour 49. Uh, you know, we're not doing, once again, we're not doing a whole historic retrospective on all HD remasters no, or games no. in recent years. We're just going to pick a couple flavors of the week, so to speak. Uh, one in particular that deserves some discussion, at least. Uh, let's jump right into the recently released Resident Evil HD remaster, which hit 360. Xbox One, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4. If you pre-ordered the digital PS3 or 4, you got them on both. And it also released on PC. Uh, moreover, Resident Evil HD Remaster hit Japan and Asia in early December. They did get physical releases over there. I know at the very least on PS3 and PS4. Because I was tempted to import, though I did not. So... Fast forwarding to present day here, January 2015, Resident Evil HD Remaster hit, 1999 digital download. Um, the original file on the screen said it was going to be north of 14 gigs, but in reality, it seemed like my PS4 version came in at like 3.5 to 4.5 gigs. I don't know if that was the amount to get it started to start playing, and the PlayStation 3 version was about 7.5. Uh, for the purists out there that want to know, PlayStation 3 version runs at 720p, 30 frames per second. PlayStation 4 runs in 1080p, 30 frames per second. 
and then I can hear everyone else out there, uh, the PC users, the snobs, saying, well, as we all know, it's always best and going to look best on PC. Probably true if you have a powerhouse. But uh, PlayStation 4 version looks excellent. I haven't seen it running on X1. Actually, I did on Twitch. So they're pretty much on par with each other. Same thing. And we'll kind of jump in from there. So Resident Evil HD Remaster is actually a remaster of the 2002 Resident Evil remake that came out on Nintendo GameCube then exclusively. That title also got re-released on the Wii around 2009. And this is the remastering of the GameCube rendition on modern day consoles. Arguably the best version of Resident Evil 1. uh, The GameCube slash present day version. Phenomenal title. Uh, I don't know where you want to jump in on this, but uh, what are your thoughts? I don't want this game anymore. <laughs> uh, in terms of you're just you're I, just sick of seeing. I you I, don't want. Re- I, you, let's clarify. You're just sick of Resident Evil One, period, or you're sick of this particular rendition. I'm 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 done with Resident Evil One, <laughs> and I'm I'm ha- I'm having trouble with this because I'm actually in the process of reviewing this game and. There's that's that there's that area where you have to separate um, me as a personal player and me as a quote unquote professional reviewer, you know. And so I have to say, okay, <laughs> is this a good version or not? Is this a good game or not? And I mean, I'm still I can still have fun playing this, and I'm still having fun. It was tough at first, but I'm having fun playing it. But I just don't want this game anymore. Like I'm I'm. You know, you know when it's it's like those people who keep asking for Final Fantasy VII um, remastering. Right. You know, and this is this is gonna be this is gonna be so weird because we're gonna get more into this topic, and I'm going to completely contradict myself. But just kind of let it go, you know, like and especially I think the problem is that. Now you've how much of this have you played? Oh, I beat it five times. Already? No, that's a lie. I've, oh God, I was going to say. Uh, well, my my first biggest issue, uh, not issue in bad, my my first. Del- well, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I mean, do you do you own this? Have you played? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Okay. So before you get into your issues, I guess what? <laughs> now I've lost what I was going to well, say. Um, my issue is what outfit I wanted Jill to wear. <laughs> Oh come on! There's not even a choice there. There's not even a choice. There he is. There is. No, you can't. No, you cannot pick anything but the okay, original. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. You cannot do that. Um, I don't think this was worth releasing because it feels like. And this is gonna be funny to see what my review says because maybe my my professional opinion is a little bit different than this. Um. This just feels like a cash-in to Ooh. me on some level Ooh. because you you know you have that widescreen option, but all you're really doing is just cutting off tops and the bottoms of all the backgrounds. You know? The, 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 these aren't anything but GameCube backgrounds resed up. Um the the like the save screen is is four by three. Okay. It's not even in wide it's not even in widescreen. Okay. 
like it 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 feels it this feels like a cash you have, you have a tough crowd tonight uh, um these are very valid points and i think they're professionally given i know when you're spot i mean you're and doing I, you're doing your job and i, I yeah and I, I i said it's it's been really tough for me playing this game and i think that you said in introducing this game that this was the best version of resident evil no nope, here we go the capcom police well, no, no, no. I'm just saying, I don't know that I disagree with you. Um, well, unless we, unless we want to get into Jill's bounciness. Uh, what was... <laughs> uh, th- there know, was a vine we, of that, actually, but... We can argue well, that point. The, we... <laughs> in, 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 what, in what it is, in what it is, I'll, I'll let you talk to you, I, I, I promise. Uh, in what it is, it is probably the best version of Resident Evil that's out there. I, I will agree with that. I think that this being the best version of Resident Evil that's out there is kind of embarrassing. Oh, that we haven't elevated it even further since then? Yeah. Okay, well, I have, I have a few things to say, and I have to clarify here for the audience. When I say best version of Resident Evil, I say that based off of because knowing and having played the GameCube version of Remaster and how great that was, and this is the... Which I loved at the time. Right, so that, that so fans might be like, well, wait a minute, he didn't go through he didn't go through the new one yet. What, this is bullcrap. Well, it's because it's the GameCube one. First, moving along, The reason I'm a little more forgiving for this once again re-release is because I do legitimately feel there is a large chunk of the Resident Evil fan base that maybe didn't get to experience the GameCube uh, version. Technically, I also said it came out on the Wii, but I mean, how many people have you ever heard? Uh, While I do own the Wii version as well, for collection's sake, I mean, you can't tell me, do you know anyone that owns this version on Wii? I, I didn't even know it existed. Yeah, so I've got that in zero. I own I own that and Biohazard or Resident Evil Zero, excuse me, both on GameCube and Wii, technically. So that aside, that's that's a little notation out there for those out there who want to experience it. Maybe you just maybe you only have a Wii out there right now, so uh, you can find that. At, you, I got them on Amazon last year, brand new. I still found them, but that aside, back on track. Yeah. So from that perspective, this Resident Evil. Gave much much better looking uh, uh, character models. The the backgrounds and whatnot were were spruced up, juiced up. Uh, animations were improved. Items and and whatnot were rearranged. Uh, enemies uh, in many instances much more challenging. Um, the part I haven't experienced yet in this version, but I'm assuming it's got to be in there because it's quote the same game. And stop me when I'm I'm wrong. Wasn't one of the things with the GameCube version that made it real challenging is a lot of the zombies really didn't truly die unless you set them on fire. I I think the problem which I have run into I don't know that it's um, because I I think the rule is once they once they bleed out they're done. done. Okay, that's kind of that's why it's kind of been a Resident Evil thing. I think what it is is there are there are bodies laying around. And you never know whether or not they're going to get up and okay, attack you. Right. Okay. And those are the ones you can burn. But I don't know because I mean I know that some bodies after you kill them are left there. Uh huh. But, but I'm trying to remember if they do get back up or not. Hmm. That's a good question. Like I I don't I feel like they didn't. 
But I, th- I thought the burning bodies was for when you came across zombies that were just laying on the floor. And if you didn't want to have to deal with them potentially right. later, that you could burn them and get them out of right. the way. But of course, doing that like takes up two extra slots. So it's kind of a, <laughs> a lot of hassle. Right, item management, to so. uh, ribbons to save, that old school nature. I will say before we move on in this Resident Evil conversation, I, I think it's safe to say before we continue, no matter what nitpicking that may be done on, by you or whatever I say, before we continue, is it not fair to say for those who have not experienced this version of Resident Evil ever that uh, they should go and, and just download it right now? I don't know. You know, like if... Because like you just said, like typewriter ribbons but, and arbit- arbitrary yeah. storage limits and things. I, you know, look, if... Because people's time is precious. And I, I don't think you can go through and play the entire Resident Evil series if you've never played any of them. If you've never played a Resident Evil game, I would probably start you on number four. Mm, I, I think there's going to be some arguments out there. I get. I've told. I've said this many times on record that Resident Evil Four is one of the greatest games ever made. I've always made the joke if I could give it Game of the Year again last year, this year I'd probably do it. But I think the argument from Resident Evil uh, purists, enthusiasts, aficionados out there would say, well, if someone truly hasn't experienced any Resident Evil, Resident Evil 1 is a good place to start because it still had uh, the, the horror nature, the element of the unknown that isn't found out until throughout the game. And by the way, if I sound a little bit like a snooty smarty pants, I got done reading an interesting interview online uh, which was with former Capcom scenario writer Yasuhisa Kawamura but before I get into that so th- there there is there is purpose I feel in experiencing the original uh, Resident Evil for the series roots to see how it started before um, it, it before it evolved changed um, you know hit some stumbling blocks got re-envisioned, etc. So, uh, the gamer in me, having experienced them, I know why you say Resident Evil 4, and I'm not, I don't want to argue that, but Resident Evil 4 just flat out was a five-star game. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's not... It's like... It's like the save system made more sense. The item management made more sense. You actually had proper aiming. You actually had proper control... Um, I mean, not proper control. I mean, like, you actually saw the tank controls, but it made a lot more sense in that kind of world the way it was. You didn't have the... I, I think that, I think I think Resident Evil's downfall is that a lot of people like us were looking at it with nostalgic glasses on. I really think we are. Because you t- you go back and just take it as a game. It's like, it's like the original Persona, right? Like, I love the original Persona. And I will tell people to go back and play that they never played it. But... Actually going back and playing it, it's really tough if you're coming at it for the first time right now. Um, just because it does a lot of things that modern games don't do anymore for good reason. Right. And I think Resident Evil is the same way. Like, which, which control scheme did you use? Well, the default one is the modern one. So I've been, I've been messing around with the modern one. But even modern one is not easy. It's it? not, but... But because because of, because of because of the angular changes and the way the backgrounds are rendered. Yes, but the modern controls are 
better superior one? to the yes yes i agree with that but you'll you'll be running like in one direction holding in that i direction. know you're gonna say when it switches on the fly almost arguably and arguably and you're like almost, facing a completely different direction you could almost feel like you went back to old controls at times right and i think i think it's just a problem is enough things pile up that uh, i don't know that people if they haven't played it i don't know that you really need to go back and play it like like if you have this original super mario brothers right mm-hmm. i think to this day people can go back and play that that's a fair statement cuz there is there's still uh, just a quality to the game to the gameplay, to the way it is built and developed and the way it works that has not um, uh, been kind of like replaced over time. I mean, you know, side-scrolling platformers got more complex. They got prettier. They introduced new ideas and concepts. But what is in Super Mario Brothers, the original, isn't, isn't broken at this point. Like, it hasn't been broken by time and progression. I think the original Resident Evil has been broken by time and progression. Like, I I, I think games have gotten better. And, and, you know, I mean, the moment that I'm sitting there fighting a zombie and I'm hoping that I'm aiming at him and I just kind of shoot at him and I know the game wants me to shoot him in the head, but I can't because I can't aim at him at all. I'm just kind of arbitrarily aiming at his body and hitting him in places I don't know where I'm hitting him at. You know, that's the point where it's like, okay, you know what? I like the fact that in Resident Evil 6, I can take my gun out and I can hit the little L2 trigger and then aim my gun where I want to shoot a zombie at and shoot him. You know, uh, there there are niceties that current games have that I kind of find hard to go back to in a game like this. Uh, valid points and what I'm doing here is I'm not being uh, rude or disrespectful while you're speaking I'm looking for uh, some quotes from this article uh, we'll kind of tie in once again this is from former Capcom scenario writer Yasuhisa Kawamura and before I go on I want to give credit where credit is due because uh, I don't want to forget I got this online about within the last week and at the end it gives thanks to and I don't know who a lot of these people are but I'm just going to get it out of the way Thanks to Mia Graves for her invaluable assistance with the translation. Thanks also to Joel Welsh and John Chitzpanyak, uh, without whom this feature simply would not have been possible. So, And I don't have the site in particular it came from, but I want to give credit at least to who were involved in translating. I pulled this from the net. But uh, Karamura, one of the things he says in regards to the horror aspect is we were discussing more the control aspect, and that's discussed uh, somewhere throughout this, but... Uh, I'll read some quotes here. It says, uh, I've always thought that Biohazard has one problem regarding the horror aspect. He explains, for me, a person feels afraid when they are in unknown territory, which they are unable to comprehend and unable to predict. The first game had all the necessary points. Special forces excellent in combat, but still human, locked up in an unknown manner full of monsters, zombies, and mutants. Because the environment and difficulty of the game were synchronized, many players felt some kind of fear. Sorry, I got sidetracked there. I heard something. However, halfway through the game, players understand the source of fear and understand how to cope with the monsters. Eventually, the protagonists win the battle and escape. 
So in retrospect, by the end of the first game, all of the mystery that creates horror has been revealed. All that is left is powerful monsters and difficult traps. There was mm-hmm. nothing to scare the players. Um, before, we, before we share some um, thoughts on this, I thought this was very interesting. While what I'm about to say is going to sound obvious, I just it, well, as soon as I read this, it made sense. He goes on to say Resident Evil 2 countered this issue by ratcheting up the action and pushing human drama to the forefront. A tactic which Kawamura compares with big-budget Hollywood sequels like Aliens and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, both of which overcome or overcame the tricky task of following critically acclaimed trailblazing hits. Uh, so just saying that they turned up that you know the action factor, and mm-hmm. that's how they kind of um, you know were able to have success their second go around. Then they get into all of the aspects of what. Resident Evil 3 we got was actually a spin-off at one time, one and a half internally, because the real Resident Evil 3, which was 4, got pushed to new hardware on PS2, but RE4 became Devil May Cry, and then RE4 got rebooted again. He was back on RE4, Kawamura, but that thing got scrapped, and then Mikami came back on board and gave us the RE4 we got. It was a very interesting piece, but there's a little food for thought for us to discuss and then also just in case those out there are ever wondering when you look at a series like resident evil and you see the early days of silent hill it's like you know do they realize what's going out there going on out there in the horror genre with titles like silent hill that did such a good job and that's discussed in here obviously everyone is familiar with each other's work and then they even get into explaining the differences in silent hill why certain things would never work in resident evil and then certain things that they admired and were kind of jealous of from the silent hill series but I, I think the point he hit on is exactly, and I, I think I've said this before, is exactly where and why Silent Hill, um, at least in my mind, went off the rails with Silent Hill 3. Because it is, it is that point of when you, when a player knows what they're expecting and once they have enough power that they can kind of fight back against what's going on, right. that that's where <clears throat> that's where it stops being scary, and that's where you you lose that fear. Um, you know, because original Silent Hill was was uh, the thing is about Resident Evil is I don't know that Resident Evil was scary, and I know people argue with me all the time about this. I think it it had a lot of it had a lot of. Um, tense situations and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of uh surprises but i i i don't consider it scary in the way i consider silent hill to be scary like silent hill to me when i played it i there it (laughs) resident evil was scary because i was like i don't know if a zombie is going to come and if it does, it, it might be tough to deal with them. Like that was, that was the, the fear in resident evil with silent hill. The fear was, I don't know what's out there and I don't know what it can do to me. And even when there ended up being nothing, it was still my imagination making me think there was something out there, you know? Uh, and you know, what he says happened with silent, with resident evil like I said, it's what happened, I think, with Silent Hill 3 because in Silent Hill 3, Heather, she ends up getting enough firepower in that game that she can legitimately fight back against her enemies. 
Whereas even in Silent Hill 2, you know, Silent, Silent Hill 1 was kind of establishing what this kind of fear was, but Silent Hill 2 took it in a completely different direction because it was more of a psychological thing. I mean, it was more of an emotional thing, I think, in Silent Hill 2. Um, you know, it's playing on the fear of emotion and, and you know, what we human beings fear and, and what we do that brings us that fear and stuff like that. And then Silent Hill 3 was, okay, there's going to be a bunch of monsters and you're going to have a bunch of guns now to kill them. Exactly. So that is a, that is always like a, a kind of fear, and that is what they ran into with Silent, with Resident Evil as well. Is you know Resident Evil Six is nothing like the original Resident Evil, and and I guess I guess now I'm kind of on your side in a in a small way in that I think there can be um, a value in going back to the original because. You get to see this series before it became what it became. Right. Uh, and as good as Resident Evil 4 was, it was missing a lot of what the original was, you know. Um, but at the same time, I almost kind of feel like <sighs> Resident Evil was scary because we hadn't experienced that at that point. Like there were very few games that were trying to scare us back then. And now we've gone through so many horror games that I don't know if Resident Evil is actually scary to new players. So I don't know that people can go back to that game and kind of appreciate it in the way that we appreciated it when we, when we played it way back when. Well, well, you're 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 dead on in, in your uh, in your thoughts here. I'll read you two last uh, paragraphs I've just chosen from this. Uh, you'll like this. It echoes much of what you just stated. Uh, it says, while Kawamura was mulling over his problem, a rival series had already begun to grow in popularity and would have a profound impact on Kawamura's thinking. Konami Silent Hill, he goes on to say, when I was working with Yukito Kishiro, he recommended me a movie called Jacob's Ladder by Adrian uh, Lin. I was shocked by the contents. Uh, Kishiro and I discussed the movie all day after I created Biohazard 3, I heard about Silent Hill for the first time. It had significant connections with Jacob's Ladder. Silent Hill's notion of horror was based on hallucinations and ghosts. There's no explanation behind these things. This concept on its own would forever be unknown territory, unable to comprehend and unable to predict. This uncertainty represented a key ingredient which, in Kawamura's mind, was becoming increasingly absent from Capcom series, which always went to great pains to explain what was happening and why. Mm-hmm. While playing Biohazard, you see a shadow behind a window, replies Kawamura when pressed for an example. That is actually some sort of prop, and later in the game, the protagonist would encounter and obtain the prop. Like zombie mm-hmm. dogs breaking through glass to attack the player, there's reason behind every event. However, in Silent Hill, you see ghosts of children in a school area. A locker rattles. You assume there's something behind it and follow the ghost or open the locker, but there's nothing. There's no reason necessary for ghosts and hallucinations. That was impossible in Biohazard. Now, in all fairness, this isn't a beat-up on Biohazard. They go on to say there's certain things in which Biohazard does uh, that are uh, great. 
Uh, they explain how the narrative is strong. There's a lot of positives, and you know his level of respect for what Capcom has accomplished is very high. And he even states that he would love, you know, if ever offered the chance from Capcom to do something like that again, uh, he certainly would, as he has a high level of respect for that. But nonetheless, wanted to take a couple excerpts out for this conversation. So yeah, that echoes greatly uh, what you just said between Resident Evil. And as we got into Silent Hill a little bit there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, b- back on topic here on the HD remaster. Yeah, I would say uh, it's certainly something, in my opinion, uh, that fans uh, should experience. You know, I thought the revised controls uh, I thought were nice. But I will also be fair with this. I think the reason why I may be more impressed at times or take a liking or... Uh, Uh, to some of these changes is because I still remember the original version and having lived through that. So someone who hasn't jumping into this for the first time for old controls or new controls, they, they may feel that both uh, aspects are antiquated or don't feel right, or they may not understand the science behind it or the reasoning why these uh, creative decisions were made. But from my perspective, having lived through it, and going back to it with these revised options, um, uh, I'm not going to backpedal. I'll give it a thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not like I I seem very down on the game, and I don't mean to be because I've said I mean like it, you know the more I, the more I was playing it, the more fun I was having and kind of going back and remembering. Oh man, this is so you know. I think it's just I've played this too many right. times now. Like, not just in this version, but also the regular version, the original version, you know? And I've played it on so many systems in so many ways, and I'm just like, I don't know that I need to play Resident Evil again. And I do think that at this point, you know, Capcom should really put out a little more effort or don't do this. Or you know what? If if they're going to... Uh, I mean, it would take more effort, but if they're going to do this, even to this level, they should really have done it with Resident Evil 2. <laughs> And I'm sure you saw that ru- and rumor is all it was. There was that rumor floating around already that due to the... It's been getting high praise on the internet, this remaster, and people have been pleased so far at least. And Capcom's been impressed both with sales figures so far and its its uh, reception that Resident Evil 2 was is being considered. And I, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm not one of these people who says that like Resident Evil 2 is the best version of Resident Evil ever because I don't believe that. I know a lot of people do. I don't, but I I think it's just it's it's like um I mean you know SNK we've talked about this before SNK is guilty of this as well of releasing oh, yes. the exact same game over and over and over again. I mean you're like I don't want King right. of Fighters ninety four. Right. I want ninety eight. I want thousand two. I want games we haven't gotten right. yet. I want Last Blade and whatever you know. Um, I, I just I don't I don't know that people want Resident Evil. Resident Evil Two we, and done in this vein, times. and you figure even it would even be arguably superior because, for better or worse, it would be pretty much from all scratch. Like they're not they wouldn't be pulling from the GameCube. This would be new once again, but staying true to right. some of those uh, the foundation of the title. I mean that could be amazing. Like you yeah. know, don't make it don't make it Resident Evil Four, Resident Evil Six in terms of. Don't change the perspective and, and go all out like that way. Do just enough like this Resident Evil remaster, like that beautiful fresh coat of paint 
and they could probably get an even better resolution because they won't be pulling old assets. Like if you keep it within that, with within that, uh, the box, so to speak, and I don't mean that negatively. A Resident Evil Two remaster would be would be awesome. Yeah, just don't 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 give me a GameCube game <laughs> we released and call it an HD version. You know, just don't hey, do, do, that. Do, do, do How far behind do you think? How far behind do you think Resident Evil Zero is? I I would actually I I mean we would see that before we'd see two, yeah, right? I, I wouldn't be surprised if they milk one more and then maybe do a, you know. But yeah, two, uh, this is this is Resident Evil related, so I'll say this. Do you remember the original DS got Resident Evil 1, which I, which I own yeah. on there as well? But, you know, with rare exception, Resident Evil 2, for some reason, seems to get kind of shafted. Like, technically, you can get Resident Evil 2 on the PlayStation Network, so you can experience it in its original way on PlayStation 3, or your PSP, your Vita, whatever. And Resident Evil 2, I mean, we're going back a ways. Resident Evil 2 was on N64, and I believe there was the... GameCube re-release, which was just a straight-up port. So I've pretty much knocked out all the versions, technically. But like, well, what's um, Dreamcast? Oh, Dreamcast, they got. Right? I stand corrected. Dreamcast got one. As a matter of fact, I own that one. Now that you mention that, but the point I'm trying to make is like when the DS got that original Resident Evil. Like I'm like, oh well, I mean, two's got to be coming. But like two, oh, like never. It makes like a rare appearance. Like we just named right. it on a few consoles, but like we had to go back between the years of nineteen ninety nine and two thousand, like in two thousand one, primarily. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like Resident Evil two hasn't really been seen in well over a decade, and it's one of the most. It, you know, it's it's one of the, held in the highest regard. It's up there. So I don't know what the deal with that is. I think it's just because I mean I think it's because like if they say okay we're going to re-release Resident Evil then I think one makes the most sense right, right? and so it's just kind of like the go-to like hey we're going to bring Resident Evil to the system and it's the one you've already played eight times <laughs> but enjoy I don't know I, I don't I think this was the easiest thing to do because the GameCube version was just high enough quality that they could bump it right. up to the new systems, you know? But it just, like, the entire time you're playing it, it just feels really weird mm. to me. Because you're just like, this, 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 you know, isn't what it should be at this point. Like, if they're going to release Resident Evil again in 2015, you know, go go all out and really remake it. Because if, if you, like, at this point, if you really remade it, you could make it in a way that what you do right now could last for you know another ten twenty. Yeah, I guess years. that's true. They could remilk that that gravy train if, by giving another fresh uh, start yeah. to it. Do you, do you think? Uh, do you think just Capcom? Do you think it's just finances are so on such lockdown and and uh, yeah, yeah? Do you think that's what it is? I think I think, I think, I think this was a, a safe bet kind of thing. So. Mm. 
but at the same time, they're also they're also doing a re-release. Uh, speaking of re-releases of of DMC, so you know that might not be such a no-brainer. But. Yeah, and for clarification, you almost got me excited. I'm like, how did I miss Devil May Cry? Get I was almost gonna go on. I mean, the real the real DMC. <laughs> The one people care uh, about, oh. which is not true at all. So. <laughs> well, that being the uh, uh, Ninja Theory one hitting this spring, uh, forty bucks. Uh, I guess current consoles, next gen consoles, whatever you want to call them. And then the one that was a bit surprising, though I did enjoy it, uh, Devil May Cry Four coming this summer remastered. Um, yeah, I haven't. Um... I haven't played that one. I've so. I've completed that one. Hmm. Uh, it's very good. I thought, from what I remember, the boss battles I thought were excellent. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't spoil anything. I mean, obviously, you it was the new character Nero, who has that grabbing that that arm that how do I explain it that extension. It was like a grabbing mechanic, which could be integrated and incorporated into your combinations. And then I kind of want to stop myself there, but yeah. So uh, you play as him and someone else later in the game. And uh, I enjoyed it. It was very good. But my my big dream would be, speaking of these remasters, my dream uh, on Devil May Cry would be is if someone put the time and care and love into remastering the very first Devil May Cry. That would be awesome. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath for that, but that it's I, I, you know, and I think I think talking about these remasters, I think one of the weird points we're at is that they don't always make sense, and we're not always getting what we should be getting. I mean, you know, we're we're getting for example, we're getting Dark Souls two. On PS4, and I still haven't even right? cracked my copy open of the original. That's how far behind I am. Well, which is now makes sense. Uh, but you know, where's Dark Souls One? Oh, I right? see. I, that's but, a, like why are that, we getting? Why are we getting? That is a one? very good point that I never thought of. And they just announced uh, Borderlands Two and pre sequel are coming, but not the first Borderlands. So we're we're getting two out of the three well, Borderlands games remade. Well. So I, I, I like I feel like it's just it's a really weird like scattershot kind of thing they're doing and you know like last generation I felt like we got collections right we got like oh here's here's you know X game one through three right. you know and and here's here here's the HD remaster and now we're kind of getting more okay here's one game remastered for the same price yeah that's another that's yeah. another angle i hadn't really put too much thought into but you're correct so like i feel like what this should have been was devil may cry 1 through 4 remastered right like that's kind of like what you would want and what at a certain point we would have expected but but now with all this remaster craze, you can't expect those kind of things anymore. You you just kind of expect we'll just be getting some random games from the series. Might be one game, might be two. Not sure, but I kind of know my answer to this question. I'm going to ask you, but uh, don't you kind of feel like the gaming industry with these remasters and re-releases? It's kind of mimicking 
going from DVD to Blu-ray and Blu-ray remasters and owning the same movie two, three, and four times. Yeah, and you know, I like I was saying earlier, I was going to contradict myself. I don't necessarily hate this. Um, I know some people really do hate the remastered way that we're currently writing. But for example, DMC, right? DMC is a game I was really hoping would get remastered. Um, and I'm very excited because for one thing is we'll be playing it now in 60 frames per second. Mm. Yes. Versus the, original, versus the original 30. Like DMC is a, th- a game I think that kind of uh, didn't get the recognition it deserved. And so maybe it'll get more now. And also because that was one of the games from last gen that I still wanted to go back to and replay. And at this point, I kind of... If I'm going to go back and replay something, I'd rather replay it on the better system. That's why like, I was so happy when Tomb Raider got announced because I was the weekend before it got announced, I was actually starting to go back and play replay the PS3 version. And I ended up having a much, much better experience because I got to play on the PS4 instead. So I don't, I don't hate remasters. There, it's, a, it's a weird thing because last generation when we got a remastered, it was a really big deal, I feel like. It was a pretty big right. jump. You know, I, I think now remasters are, well, you get the same game but higher resolution. You know, in 1080p instead of 720p. You know, or, or better textures now or better frame rates. So it's kind of in, incremental upgrades. But the thing about that that I kind of like is if there were these games that you actually did enjoy last generation and you want to go back to, you're kind of now getting, here's what the game really should have been like the first time. Right. But we didn't have the hardware to do it at that point. That's the kind of versions we're getting, you know, with like I said, Tomb Raider, DMC, um, what uh, last, last of us was another great, great example. Last of Us was a fantastic game, but you could tell that the PS3 just could not run that game to the point it needed to be, you know, it need, it really wanted to be at. So getting to play it again on the PS4 in the way that it really, really should have been, like that was fantastic, and I, I loved doing that. So I actually am not like anti remaster because <clears throat> there's still games from last gen that I kind of want remastered, you know. I would love like the Uncharted series to be remastered. Um, I'm trying to look at my shelf from here. And I can't see it because I don't have glasses right now. Uh, it'll never happen, but I, w- I would actually love to have the Silent Hill games remastered. But well, you know, we know how that went last time. We tried to get that. Have you 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 opened that can of worms? Not me. Did have you played the PlayStation Three version, Silent Hill Two slash Three Two more specifically since the patch? Uh, now I'm not sitting here. No. T- I didn't do side by side, and I'm not. I'm. I only. I cracked my sealed copy open, ironically, for the first time about a week or two ago, uh, because as you can tell, I must have been bored, and because I completed all of my other games on the shelf, and <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so I pop I popped it into patch and just to take a look at it, and um, I thought it looked pretty good, mm, but I know I, I'm I on. If, I don't know I'm if I trust line that. With but... the, I'm on the line with the Silent Hill expert, so I was just curious. Um, I know there. Were... Yeah, no. The the, the problem is I, I have I have the Xbox 360 version. I don't have the. Yeah, PC see, and I heard they would yeah. that they wouldn't go back and patch that one. Nope. Mm. Nope. Cause it's bigger. Maybe pain to do maybe Sandy Claus next year will get you the <laughs> PS3 version. 
Let me say this, and this this will still be staying on topic. Um, I guess I'm in a reading mood tonight, and I won't dissect this as much as we did Resident Evil. I'll do a free plug here, I guess, for Silicon Era. Uh, there was another great article I printed out. This was within the last two weeks, uh, discussing the work that was done on Afterburner 2, 3D Afterburner 2, more specifically for Nintendo 3DS. Digital download available now. You can get it for 6 bucks. And they've been doing these wonderful, uh, someone on their team has been getting these translated uh, interviews with uh, developers from M2 and reminiscing about the old Sega days, the work that's gone into these. And uh, the point I want to make to fans before I go on is definitely want to check these out, read these extensive, uh, in-depth, dense interviews, tons of information that I can't do justice on the podcast because literally it could be a whole show. Like just little nuances or things like... I mean, for example, you, you played Afterburner 2 on the 3DS, and you look at it, and you're like, God, this is just like what I remember in the arcade. They've done a phenomenal job, and, and, and that's kind of what you see. But when you read these interviews and see all of the extra work they did for how they got the sound right, different options in the menu for sound adjustments, uh, what would maybe perceived as Easter eggs, or how, like, they, I couldn't believe this. They, they were so accurate with their work and the way they emulated certain aspects that, if I understood correctly, that this, if the information was dumped back on the original arcade board, it would run. But it was a lot, it's a lot, um, uh, that, uh, it's a lot more complicated than, like, you have to read this to really understand, like, and there's something else they pulled from, uh, it's from the code for certain aspects of the sound and something that was, like, hidden and, like, they said they got it to work in a way on this that, it was true in that if it, they were to go and dump this back on the board once again, it would run. Uh, just some amazing stuff. But getting back on topic here, speaking of HD remasters and making the comparison to the movie industry, ironically, there are some quotes in here which kind of parallel uh, what we're discussing. Even though we were talking about remasters and Resident Evil, jumping ahead to Afterburner, this is relevant. So uh, this was... Um, I know the gentleman's first name is Yosuke, but uh, once again, go to Silicon Air and check this out. You can't miss it. So they're talking about similar to what we're talking about, and they say in terms of all these re-releases, because like obviously Afterburn has been released a, a, a ton of times, uh, and they go, the same goes for movies. You buy a DVD for a movie you love, and you watch it over and over. But then it comes out on Blu-ray, and it has special scenes, interviews, and other content. People love that. But having worked on the PlayStation 2 era Sega Ages and Sega Ages Online series... I realized that the time of impressing people with just collector content has passed. He goes on to say, It's not a given that the fans are simply going to be satisfied with what you bring out. You need to bring something they haven't done before. You need surprises. It's all about peeking into this world unknown. Like the players who were surprised and delighted when they stumbled upon Hayao in 3D Space Harrier or people who played 3D Galaxy Force 2 and realized for the first time, wow, so this is what Galaxy, Galaxy Force 2 is, because it was something new now that it had 3D. That's what we're going for. I want to see more of this. Um, they go on to say, 3D Afterburner 2 special mode will make you think, I never realized you could make this kind of fun with Afterburner 2, and now I can enjoy an Afterburner 2 I never knew. There's fun in that. And on the other hand, if you've only played Afterburner Climax, then you can play this version as well. So the point is, kind of like what you are saying, maybe a little bit with the Resident Evil aspect, and you played it a million times, 
like they're smart enough with these these emulation and conversion projects. They they are good at doing whatever is in their power to bring at least something new or some sort of new experience to the table to warrant purchasing the title again. Yeah, I mean, if there's anybody out there who who can make a game worth buying a second time or a third time or whatever, it's it's M2. I mean, they they are just on another level when it comes to, you know, to redoing games. Like not only, I mean, not only do they have the let's get this exactly right mentality, but also like what you were saying is the mentality of um let's also then add you know, things to this game that that fans would want and that would be worthwhile. You know, it, it, it can go be from everything from just the ability to play these games in 3D, which can add a new dimension, no pun intended, to, to these kind of games, or the, the filtering options or the gameplay options, you know, the things that they build in to, to option-wise to these games. Like, they they do some crazy stuff. And it, it, it's funny because I'm sure people think it's simple for them because it's like, oh, they're just dumping a ROM onto something, right? But they're really doing it on a level that like few other companies are really doing. Well, I'm an idiot because I'm similar in that, you know, I'm like, oh, I know this is work. Like, I'm not that stupid. But, you know, I'm like, I'm like, this can't be that backbreaking. You know what I mean? But but when you read this interview, I mean, it's surreal, the amount of work that goes into it. I mean, there's an aspect with uh, 3D Afterburner 2 where, because, as you know, there's different, okay, you can play it where it takes up the screen, or you can play it where you have like a cockpit view. There's like single cradle, double crater, cradle. Excuse me if I can speak correctly, which mimics the the deluxe sit down cabinet. But beyond that, like you were saying, they did stuff like you can you can play like background sounds and whatnot, and you hear like the clicks of the buttons or the sound of the the unit moving. Uh, it's amazing, and then they go into some aspects of like the recording process. How they got the sounds as closely as, as possible, um, going to like Sega's old warehouse, uh, which they were blessed in some ways. Like they got into an area that didn't have, um, you know, which was catered for like superior sound and certain tricks that they did to get the highest quality in the end for the player. I mean, it's amazing. This interview was a good, had to be a good 10, 12, 15 pages. And uh, the amount of work that M2 did for this was uh, uh, crazy, you know. And uh, speaking speaking of that, let me get my notes. Outside of that interview, this was from, I believe, the Sega blog. I'll read a little bit of this. Uh, so as we alluded to earlier, the second batch of Sega 3D classics are headed exclusively to the Nintendo 3DS handheld system, spotlighting Sega's arcade history beginning with the release of 3D Afterburner 2, in early 2015, that just hit last week, uh, the second batch of titles will be released monthly and include 3D Fantasy Zone, 3D Outrun, which I'm personally looking forward to, 3D Fantasy Zone 2, and 3D Thunderblade. Uh, it says, not only does each title deliver a full-fledged vintage arcade experience, recreating the environment down to the mechanical sounds of the arcade machines themselves, but also adds to the original experience with new modes, options, and original original musical tracks. Uh, lastly, it says these games were completely rebuilt to offer a robust 3D experience that offers more modern gameplay while still keeping true to the original. 
that was uh, commented by John Cheng, President and COO, Sega of America. These are the best versions of some of our most unforgettable games, and playing them is just like sitting in an arcade machine. So. I've, I've never given um, Fantasy Zone a true chance, so I'm kind of looking forward to doing that. I think out of that batch, out, Outrun is definitely far and away my, my most looking forward to game. Right. You know? I I love the Sega Classics on, on 3DS. I, I really do. I'm, I I guess it's just like my, my thing is, is like now I want more. Yeah, and that's, that leads me to my you know? next uh, comment. I was going to say, you know, this is awesome that we're getting this and it's new to us. But Japan has had these for over a year. And I, right. that, and I haven't heard of a Wave 3 there yet. So that's what I'm curious about. Will there be more after this wave? I, I, I hope so. I, I really do. Like I said, I don't. I'm, my my concern is I don't know how well they're doing in Japan, right? Which, of course, is a big question. You know, I mean. Hmm. And by the way, speaking of Japan, and un, un, unfortunately, there's region lock, but I believe they did do a physical. 3DS card of the Sega Classics over there. I saw on the Play Asia uh, recently, but I would have totally done it to have a physical case and card of a lot of these games. But uh, due to their territorial lockout, I, obviously that's why I didn't. Yeah, I didn't do it. So, uh, so okay, if we got a Wave Three, because they 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 have kind of been sticking to the arcade game. I mean, they weren't they haven't all been arcade games because like I know Sonic is an arcade game. Obviously, and then Echo was Echo you know, that was right from the Genesis, but yes, Echo was uh, one of them. Yeah. So okay. So let's say we get a Wave Three. Do you want them to stick with arcade, or do you want them to do? Home well, I, I love to say I love the both. classic Sega arcade games. So I mean, I would like to see at least a couple more of those with those deluxe style cabinets. Um, I, I hope you don't ask me the next question that I think you're going to ask because I'm not prepared for it. But yeah. I, <laughs> What, what, uh, you're gonna ask question? well, which arcade games will those be? I was, I was gonna ask you because <laughs> I'm trying. To I mean, if I'm getting desperate, it wasn't like it was a classic that I, I was I'm in love with. But like, just because you put me on the spot, I mean, technically, didn't they uh, Enduro Racer? I mean, I'm, I'm pulling stuff out of my backside right now. Uh, just okay, yeah, because okay, so they had they had Street of Rage, Shinobi Three, Echo the Dolphin, and. Sonic. So they had, they had a pretty even mix between arcade games and home I, games. I could get kind of obscure. I mean, it w- this really wouldn't be like for Deluxe Cabinet. Like, I don't think these would be worthy. I'm just getting desperate right now. I mean, if we go back to the 80s, I could say like Quartet. I could- oh, yeah. I, I, that, I, I, I don't know if I, I, don't think I love it. I don't know if I love it, but um, I don't know if there's ever been actually a good home version. Yeah, I, I could say Alien Syndrome. Which oh, technically was, was they did really that good. new one on PSP, which looked like Duty, but I can't remember if yeah. it had the original on there or not. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I could pull stuff like that out of my butt um, if I were to get greedy. I don't think the 3DS. Ooh, well, maybe you know the 3DS. I don't know if if it would be more taxing on the system because you'd be emulating like the arcade architecture. But I would go as far to say, you know, hey. Maybe if they did some model two, model two or model one, 
cabinets, that, you know, not, not like Virtua Fighter, but like... Like, like Virtua Racing? Yeah, maybe like a Virtua Racing or a Manx TT Superbike. Um, you know, I, not to get off topic again, but I will give you a straight answer on something else. For the major consoles outside of handheld, I will tell you something that does need to happen. Sega needs to convert their Model 3 games home arcade perfect. That's something mm. that they need to do. Uh, you know, stuff like Virtual Fighter 3, stuff that came home kind of a little bit off, so to speak. Some of, the, right. some of those other, like the out triggers of the world or some, some of that stuff, or like that needs to come home. But for, for the handheld, um, you know, Sega certainly got a diverse library and were always known. What was the, oh, they had, uh, was it G-Lock? G-Lock. So, I mean, yeah. we could, you know. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was trying to think like which one I would pick. Um, I, I really want Fantasy Star, like the original Fantasy Star. I, I want to see like if they could make that work in 3D because I think they could do some really cool things mm. with that. Especially like with the, with yeah, the battles that's true. and the races I didn't and think stuff. Of that. Um, I think a game that I have always loved because they had it at like the, like a block away from my house was a bowling alley that had a little arcade in it. So I'd always go there and play games. And one of the games they had I played all the time was Power Drift. Oh yes, that uh, yes yes. And I I think that 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 could maybe make your eyes bleed in 3D, but I would still like to kind of see. There's a regular work, listener know? of ours who I'm sure was screaming at their. Uh computer that yeah thank god you mentioned that that would yeah. be a perfect yeah. uh that's a must that's a definite um i love the original but really i think streets of rage 2 is kind of what people really really yes want. So, that, I think, so that i think that would be nice um i'm trying to think of let's see genesis oh god we would never we would never ever get it but I mean, I've wanted it for DS forever anyway, but Herzog's 5 oh, would be amazing yeah, like techno, Yeah, I don't know who has the rights to that, that would but be, that would be that amazing would be in 3D. awesome. And you you put the map on the bottom screen, right. and that would be... Oh, oh I talk about a heaven. seller. Yeah. So I loved that game back in the day. I remember getting. I mean, that we, we've talked about this in the past, like buying games when there was not much info to go off of or nothing, taking a chance. That was certainly a game I knew nothing about and took a chance on buying, and that game was awesome. Yeah. So, and I mean, I I think you know you could if if we had like a wide gamut of stuff. I mean, there's some there's so many Genesis games. You know, you could have Target Earth. You could have you know Thunder Force game. Um, Gary's like I still love that game. There's. Uh, if yeah, if they were able to scoop up, if they still had the, or somehow got the rights to re-release some of that stuff, then that's a whole new ball game. Yeah, I mean those are some awesome Genesis classics. And uh, Return of Death Adder has gotten very very little home support. Oh yeah, that's the that was the arcade only one. Yeah, I read an yeah. interview on that somewhere recently. Yeah, I remember seeing that, and it like I think that's kind of considered. I wish I don't know. I read so many interviews, I can't keep them straight, but. Yeah, I think that's kind of perceived as the, like the real Golden Axe sequel. You know right, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, that game. So I, I think there's like a lot of options you could do both home and, and arcade wise. That would be, and I mean, like I, I know I'm probably the only person who'd ever want it, but they'd a, 
They had an arcade game called Hot Rod. They're like a top-down racer that I would love to see come back in that kind of way. But what year? What year Chris was that? If you don't mind me uh, asking, I've, I've probably seen it. I just ooh, I want to say I was in junior high. Mm. So only about so seven, eight years been, ago. Yeah, <laughs> seven or eight years ago, exactly. Uh, was that somebody was saying that like they thought I sound like I was in high school? Uh, that's kind of a compliment. One of our, that's when you get to our years? age. That's kind of a take it as a compliment. What did they? What was that? The, uh, it was for the Nitius podcast. One of our listeners. What what era? Let me see what era they said that was. They said that I sound. Oh yeah, teenager. Wow. So. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I, yes, so junior high was about two years ago. I don't know. Forever like young. Uh, so, mm. uh, so yeah, I mean, there, there's a ton. I, I think it's weird because I don't know if I, I don't know if I consider these remakes uh, or, re, or, or remasters as, as far as just like extended re-releases, right. you know, but there's like just so much I think could be done with this. And I absolutely, because I, 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 I think adding the three like I, I have Sonic the Hedgehog in three D. Um and that just that three D alone is really cool. And absolutely positively makes it worth buying again. And so I, I think that Sega like Thunderblade I don't care about so much, you know? So like every now and then there'll be a good game or two that I don't care about, but for the most part, if that Sega just keeps releasing these, I will keep buying them. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Because you have you have a, a company who knows what they're doing, who can make these games completely work on the 3DS, and then you have the 3D effect adding a, a cool you know new element to, to 2D gaming. Um, that, that combination just says, okay, yes, release them, I will buy them. Simple as that. Yeah, so I mean, certainly lovely, uh, lovely pieces of work, and 3DS owners... Uh, should should uh, actually turn the system on right now and start downloading. You don't have to rush out to your local store. And I, I kind of like. I mean, like I'm I'm a big for for 3ds. Like I just I just get all my stuff digitally, which is scary because on 3ds, you know, like you lose your system in those games. Are just gone. So even your big physical, even the big mainstream stuff, you get digital. Yep, wow. everything. Because and unlike the Vita, which we talked about earlier, uh, it's super, super, super cheap just to upgrade your memory in your 3DS. Because I, I have a 32 gigabyte card, and I have I should count. Well, I memory. hope you start investing in one of, of those micro SD cards soon for the, for 3DS? the new 3DS. Oh well, uh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Because Nintendo won't give me a new 3DS. Oh, why aren't you buying the new 3DS, uh, which was recently announced for the good old US of A on February 13th? Because I don't have uh, big ape <laughs> hands like a lot of Americans do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If I, don't, I, uh, but... I feel very, um, what's the word? I'm, I guess, selfish in a way, or I kind of got my babyish way on this because while I completely understand your point of view and I do think we should have the option, I mean that, I was shocked that the limited edition new 3DS I wanted from Japan was coming here. Now, mind you, I haven't held it in person and seen it in person, so it's still kind of a chance, but I'm excited for the 
Monster Hunter 4, that like brush silver limited edition. But and I mean, and I mean, and I, mean I would never say like don't bring the big one over, but I just cannot now, believe they're not bringing the small well, one. I, I com- now with what I'm about to say, I completely agree. I promise. For myself personally, after buying an XL, uh, what was it? Was it the first XL I ever got was, I think, fall of 2013. Once I got that thing, I said to myself, I can never go back. Yeah, I I can't I can't I can't use it. I, I have an XL. Yeah. I have it sitting here. I, I never touch it. Hmm. I just can't use it. Like I can't it's it's too big to me. Is it the weight or the just It's just the overall size and it's also like the screens too. Like I don't like how um, cause I can just see the pixels okay. so easily when it's I'll meet you halfway. Size. When I very first turned on the XL, I'm not going to lie to you. I noticed that, but I would say in part, ironically, that was because of having the, the Vita or, or a smartphone, like in full, like in HD. Right. So I'm, I'm being honest here. So if you said to me, did I, did you notice that? Well, I'd be lying if I told you no, but in time upon just knowing that that's what the 3DS output you know, it, we know it's not an HD system, and once you settle back in, I just—I don't know—I just couldn't. That was my feeling on the 3DS XL. If I'm being honest, I felt like the 3DX—excuse the, me—the 3DS XL is what the like. That's the real unit to me, but like. Well, I you know I know I know and I know people disagree with me on this, but I I think the 3D doesn't work as well on the big one versus the small one. I'm full of ex- yeah, and I'm full I, of I, excuses tonight. Now I have bad eyes. Obviously, I have prescription mm-hmm. glasses and they make me see 2020, but I have bad I have bad eyes. And mm-hmm. I I never used the 3D. Now, with the new 3DS, I may mess around with it a little bit because it's supposed to be improved, so I'll probably mess with it. But mm-hmm. but I will say this in all fairness. With the new 3DS, let me say this. Even though I stick to my guns, I feel the XL, the XL in terms of its build, I feel that's the true 3DS system. I will say when it comes to the new 3DS, I am a bit surprised we're not getting the standard version because I'm going to say something that's stupid. Whether it be for the collector in me or just the faceplate aspect, to maybe it's just to brag, I could have seen myself at some point in time getting both the XL and the standard new 3DS. Yeah, uh, I will be honest and say that um, I'm very sh- I'm shocked or that we're not getting it at least yet. Because if you think about it, Nintendo really didn't say that we would never see it. They said something like, you know, just, you know, each market has different needs. And right now that's what's been announced. I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they ever said that North America will never see the standard new 3DS. They didn't, they didn't say we'd never see it, but I, you know what? I have a rotten feeling on this. I think there's going to be enough people that voice their concern or issue with it. And I have a funny feeling uh, Nintendo will bring it here. But I think we have to wait. Do you want do you want to know my 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 theory yeah. on this? Uh, I think 
I, I, and I'm gonna laugh. This happens, but I, I, I think given the current Nintendo of America, I think it could happen. I think, and this is dependent on them announcing this game for North America. Um, so during the big Nintendo Direct that happened, that you know a lot of announcements came out of, and the announcement of the new 3DS XL coming to America came out of. On the Japanese side, they announced a new style savvy game. <clears throat> I think that if style savvy, the new one, comes to North America, they could bundle that with the small new 3DS, with the regular size one, if you want to call it that. You're going to have to help me out here now. Is style savvy sounds like, is it like a fashion? Uh... Yeah. yeah, it's 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 what they call uh, Wagamama Girls okay. Mode in Japan. And there's been two versions so far. There was a uh, DS version and a 3DS version. And the 3DS, now this, I guess this completely ruins my theory here, but the 3DS version was bundled with the pink and white 3D, 3DS XL. The one that we did get here uh, like last year? Yeah. That's I think I think that's the only way it came out over here was bundled with styles. No, whoa, 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 wait, time about wait, my and I'm not trying to confuse you. I apologize. No, I know we got a pink and white one here because I bought it for someone. By by itself? Yeah, I got it as a gift for someone. Huh? And for listeners, for okay. listeners listening, no, I'm not covering up for myself. <laughs> no, but I, I I did buy the pink and white one as a gift uh, Christmas of 2013 for someone. Well, because I know that when it was when it was first brought to America, the only way you could get it. No, you're right. Uh, the only way you could get it was with style savvy. So that's interesting. So, so this is interesting to me because, so that game you're speaking of did come stateside. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said so, uh, the 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 DS one came over and the 3S one came over. Really? So I have I have good hope that it would come over. And my thought, which I guess is kind of ruined halfway by the fact that it was bundled with the, mm. the XL here in America, but was, okay, you, you consider, okay, you give a smaller 3DS to Right, that's, I was thinking right? that might have been the angle. But you also have the whole faceplate thing. Okay, which is kind which of fashion. You can, you can kind of tie into the mm. fashionness of it, so you could, as a start, to kind of bring it over here. I mean, like, this, this seemed like a really, really, really weird thing to do as a way to bring it over here. But the thing is like Nintendo does really, really weird things right now in terms of the American market and how to bring things over. And I think that if you're, if you're trying to figure out how you bring this system over without um, having too many bundles on shelves at any one time, that having at least a small window of these things come out as part of a style savvy bundle could work. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it would have to be like style savvy, or it would have to be, it'd have to be again. This this sounds a little sexist, and I understand that, but I'm trying to think of marketing terms. Uh, it would have to be either a game that's targeted towards female players, or a game's targeted towards something that it could show off the faceplate right swapping. You know, like something very special about the faceplates that it would be, you know, going along with that, like if. If they had a a game, a game that like also used the amiibo, right? 
where where collecting the face plates might be as big as collecting the amiibos would. Oh, I see. To, to you know, yeah, you know, like warrant. like like you you have yeah. your amiibo you you have like your amiibo character, your personalized amiibo character, and then you could also personalize your 3ds, right? Or it could be a Pokemon game where you could have you know uh, teams like you could be t- I'm say Team Rocket because that's all I know at <laughs> this point. You know, Team Rocket or the Good Guy Team or something. Like it has to be. I think it has to be something where they can work in the faceplate. It's got to be like a gimmick it. or theme that people get people in. Yeah, it's got to be either the size or the, or the, or the faceplate mm. gimmick. One of the two. But well, I it's mean, weird, but yeah, because obviously yeah. it goes without saying, Japan has yeah. both versions, and Europe will be getting. And Europe has both versions. And guess you know what you know the UK is doing that they figured out they can do. They're selling it online. See to the US Americans. No, 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 to their customers. But for some reason, Nintendo of America doesn't realize that they have an online store. Where they can sell... Oh, like, well, I mean, no, wait, not to confuse is, things. Now, are they selling the new 3DS, the standard size in the UK, online only? No, it's not okay. only only. But but they, they, they are showing the fact that you can sell it on a website. And what I don't understand is why... Oh, I see. Like, at least the because, people who want to have the option, they're smart enough, just go online, log on, and order Yeah, one. because... If you're saying that stores, okay, if you're saying stores don't want to give shelf space to too many right. 3DSs, right? I can understand right. that. But if you've got, you look at your biggest retailers, right? You got like Toys R Us, right? You got Target, you got a Walmart, you got a GameStop, you got these big Best Buy, right? You got these major companies that you don't want to piss off. So if we're even going to say, well, Nintendo doesn't want to sell it only on their online store. Which would make total sense for them to do, but let's say that they don't want to do that because they don't want to piss off these stores. Well, why can't those stores just sell it online? You know, like why can't I buy it on BestBuy.com? Why can't I buy it on Walmart.com? Well, I can tell you, I, I can tell you why I can't buy it on BestBuy.com. Because they're going out of business. Well, no, I don't want to wish that on anyone. I, I've heard that stuff over the years, but because the, you might get your pre-order canceled anyway. Oh, that that too. Yes, <laughs> yes. So but I guess they, I guess like were, were, they, were they the ones who were canceling pre-orders if you ordered more than that's one? What I, but then they started canceling. But then they started canceling the only one that you were. Ordering? It was weird. I, at first, I heard it was for the Majora's Mask Limited Edition new 3DS XL. Right. If you ordered two or more, you got canceled. But then it also seemed other people were voicing that. Some people who ordered one, I think, got canceled, but then as compensation, like, they gave you 50 bucks off, like a Best Buy product or 50 bucks to spend in credit. It was kind of convoluted. But uh, it's, it's look, and I don't want to just pick on Best Buy, this whole thing with the Nintendo. And, I look, I love the 3DS. Like, I wouldn't have bought. I own two XLs. I used to have an original. I gave it to a friend. I've bought an XL. I mean... I bought an XL as a gift for Christmas 2013, as I stated earlier. Like, literally, Nintendo has gotten so much money out of me on that on that 3DS handheld, and I'm going to get an, a new one. Uh, am I bragging? No. The, the point is, is that I do really believe that that system is worthy of its praise, uh, its lineup of software simultaneously. Like, if you're not a video game expert, like, if, you're, if you don't have an interest in the hobby like us or like the listeners on this network, I mean, it is so confusing between you've got the 3DS, you've got the XL, you've got the new 3DS XL, there's the hoopla over the standard edition we're not getting, 
Then when it comes to, to the limited editions, the Majora's Mask one was at various retailers such as GameStop, Best Buy, uh, much of which I believe online only. And then the one I was interested in, the Monster Hunter 4 new 3DS XL, was GameStop only, online only. <laughs> and I just found that out from that morning online looking around. But like, I, I had to dig a little bit. Now, here's the thing. People are going, oh, would you have to go to Google and search and it took me 15 seconds? Well, yeah, but the point is that those things sold out in minutes. And I was lucky to get in within right. that window. So, I mean, I was, look, I was fortunate enough to be, not only to be on top of it, but to be at a workplace where I had an office and computer to do so, like if I was running around or at a different workplace or a lot of other scenarios, you could have easily, easily missed out, you know? And there's so many of these loopholes that they don't even announce in these like Nintendo Directs or because there's so many exclusive deals, like even Capcom Unity, who I follow on Facebook and, follow, you know, the official Capcom feed. Like, there was never mentioned from what I could see outside of individually written articles on independent sites. Like, nobody from what I could see said GameStop only online. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's kind of nice if you tell your consumer that so they know where to go before they go to Amazon or Best Buy and miss out. You know what You know what it reminds me of is like, like the, the toy market, right? Where they'll be like, Hey, this new masterpiece Optimus Prime is coming, you know, and you, so you're kind of like waiting for it, and you're like trying to trying to track it and stuff, and then the next the next time you see it is a news story saying, "Hey, that new masterpiece Optimus Prime is already sold out," <laughs> and you're like, "Wait, what? Like, when was it on sale? Where did, where was it at? When when did the orders? Like, I didn't know any of this stuff, you know. It's it's just so amazing. I I don't as you know, I, I'm sure there's business answers to this, but as a consumer, I don't understand the value. Like, what it, what does it provide to a company to release this very, very small quantity of something and not give your consumers clear directions on how to purchase that something? Like, like with with the the PlayStation, right? The the twentieth right. anniversary, anniversary PS4, right. right? At least Sony said, okay. If you're going to PlayStation Experience, you can potentially buy one there. If you're not, then we're going to tweet about it at this like this certain day. I think they say they said you know so pay attention that day, and then we'll tweet about it, and you can order it then. So they at least gave like some heads up. Like I feel like Nintendo gives you no heads up for this kind of stuff. And look, I don't want to keep saying you know that they only have kids as their fan base. We're two adults. You know, I'm maybe a big baby over here, you know, trying to get in on my toys, so to speak. But, like, uh, you know, let's look at the th- the new 3DS XL thing, like the limited editions, the Majora's Mask and the Monster Hunter. Like, like how many kids do you think were really prepared? At, first off, it was probably it was a school day. Second of all, how many kids... Christmas just got done. And how many kids do you think or have the 2 to 250 bucks to fork out for the new system for an online order... ASAP right after the Nintendo Direct. Like, how many right. fans are you upset? And then, like, the Majora's Mask thing, bringing it on a smaller scale. They're doing the version with the uh, 
the little limited edition statue, which in this instance actually looks kind of cool for forty nine ninety nine. Now you got to figure there's a lot of kids out there that love Zelda. You know that's that's more of a young young adult kid title. That thing was gone in seconds. That thing and I that thing was gone. So like, how many of these kids or how many of your fans are not only you kind of upsetting a little bit, but then that's you're losing money. And this whole, I don't even want to open this can of worms. We talked about it on the last episode, episode five. But this whole Amiibo thing. Yeah. It keeps getting worse. Like, now there's like new press releases that when the waves, they have a street date of X date. And then they're officially released prior to that or like out in the wild, you know, fair game before that date. And it's like first come, first serve. And it's like people are pre-ordering and now you're getting faked out on pre-orders hitting early or what. Yeah. It's like, this is the... Now, and then Nintendo says, like, you know, that they're frowning upon this, and I know that they don't like the scalping, and and it's not something that they're a fan of, but at the same time, like, I wonder how much of that they really believe because of the the hype that it's generating. You know, will they hit a wall at some point, or will people get fed up enough and throw their hands up? I think what's, I think what's giving this legs and longevity is the fact that these are official Nintendo toys, like, my prediction, I feel, I really believe in my heart that the Amiibo craze will be hot at least until first quarter 2016. I think it's going to be good through the end of this year. Like, I think it's going to get another hot holiday season out of it. I think people are going to know more about it. I think we're going to see new waves. I bet we see more Pokemon-based characters. I don't know how good big it's going to be going into 2016 just because... You know, we just got done with the first Christmas of it. You know, word is out now. I don't know if it's got that many legs, but and I and I don't have stats on this, but I would imagine that Skylanders and the Disney Infinity toys and stuff, those those things got to be taking a hit. With Scott, that Skylanders, I think Skylanders is still is huge. it still pretty big even amidst this? I I, wow. I think so. Like I I think so. I was listening to like another podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, where they were doing like the the countdown of the Amazon, like movers and shakers uh-huh. stuff, and like at least the top five slots were all Skylanders wow. characters. Still, huh? Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think the Skylander stuff is still doing pretty wow. crazy, which is shocking. It takes to me up. And speaking point. of, uh, you were just talking about skews and floor space, and it aren't you as amazed as I am when you go to like Target or your WalMarts and stuff as to how much space has to be allotted for the uh, those toys just because of the, the space they yep. take up naturally. And that's the thing is, I mean, like, because Skylanders, like, I, you know, with the Amiibo, I feel like that was a built-in thing when it came out, right? It's like Nintendo characters. It's this popular thing and stuff. Um, Skylanders had to, like, kind of create that all from scratch. So, like, you know, why... Why can Skylanders get like all this retail space? But, oh, like, I see what you're saying. Mm. Mm. I, you know, I would have never guessed the connection of, uh, in terms of a new craze or fad, like I would have never guessed the combination of like miniature toys in conjunction with your gaming game pads or whatever would have been, I guess my narrow mind, like I always saw, like when I saw those things coming out from my perspective with the toys, like, I always thought that was, like, a, more of a nuisance or, like, to get in the way of actually playing the game. Like, I know the pacing and style mm-hmm. is different, but you know what I mean? Like, 
like the amiibos yeah. don't interest me. Let's talk Nintendo. They don't interest me too much. Like, like I got to get this out, tap it on the control. You know what I mean? Like, it seems cumbersome. Oh no, I I have I have no interest. Yeah, in neither it at do all. I. I mean, like, 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 if I bought anything of like the amiibos or whatever, they would just be okay. I'm messing them on a shelf somewhere, right. and look at right. them. Like, so I, I, yeah, just I think that's just like having to use those to play your game. You're right. It just it's getting in my way. Like, I don't want that. Uh, I will say Nintendo's clever with these though, in terms of uh, extending the life, like the purpose. In that, as I'm sure you know, there's like a little. Well, I'm going to say. Well, I don't even know if I should say one of these things on the show. It's not because I'm doing this, but it's I don't want to give anyone ideas. But I'm going to. I'll say a good thing and a uh, evil thing. So. I believe there's like a little code or like a, a chip or whatever under you. Just you tap it and it reads it. And so Nintendo was smart in a sense like this could unlock like unique items for characters in select games, outfits, whatever. It could be point, like level up your character, whatever. So it's slick in that these characters aren't restricted to one title. These have legs in terms of future Mario games or like even obscure stuff like the characters from Fire Emblem will work with that code name Steam coming out. You know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the evil in me, and I don't even like saying this out loud because I'm like, God, there's like all these characters, but simultaneously it's, it's reading data essentially, right? The system is reading whatever's under there. I was almost wondering if there was going to be like a black market, like just for, um, obviously not for collectors because the value in it for collectors is the item itself, but for people who just want a game and don't care about trying to get in the hunt, I was wondering right. if there was going to be some like weird foreign knockoff or like card, like a chip that just has all the data and you just do that. And yeah, obviously it would be very illegal, but I wonder if there's a market that's going to open up where they just take all the data from those chipsets, dump it. And like, like, let's say you put it on a playing card and then you just pop that card or something over the. Yeah. I mean, you would kind of think because I mean, they're just like, kind of like what nfc right, readers or something right. like that so like why why can't that be cloned right or i was also Good thinking question. in more of a legal way more of a fair way you know or give an option or uh, I, I would maybe be more prone to picking up some more of these obscure items maybe if it was simpler like just like trading cards or like those ar cards they have like if you're like hey look there's like no value in these. The toy, you know, the figures are going to have the value you do, you know, for collectors. But if you just, if you don't care about this in the shelf space and you just want the items, you know, buy these packs of cards. Like maybe there's a few. So, so you, you, you want the e-reader back is what uh, you're saying. <laughs> I didn't think of that, but may, maybe in a, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, not as clumsy or cumbersome fashion. You know what I mean? Do you, do you remember? Do you remember when we bought Animal Crossing on the yeah, GameCube? I yes, and and it had like thirty plus built in NES games for free. Yes. Remember those days? <laughs> Weren't those great days? Oh, uh, I mean, you get nickel and dimed on everything now. Nickel and dimed. I mean that's just that's just blows my mind. Like this is a company that is reselling us NES games that we already own that we already bought on the Wii. 
again on the 3DS and again on the Wii U. And that same company, not that long ago, just bundled them all for free. And we went well, this this isn't quite the same as to what you're saying, but you know those days of, you know, I still have, actually you can probably still find them at Target, believe it or not. But that Sega Genesis collection, which has like over forty. Yeah, and there's some good games on there. Not all of them are the same ones that they always put on download. I'm going to assume, I doubt you will see that again. Like, even though that's... Well, I mean, this goes back to the conversation we were having about the remasters, right? Of how it used to be you'd get like a multiple games, you know, entire series or whatever on right. one disc or mm-hmm. one release or whatever it was. And now they're like, oh, we can just break these apart and sell them for the exact same money. But now you get one instead of four. <laughs> You know, it's the same thing. It's you know, you know the problem. You know what the problem is, is that we we, we buy keep them. buying. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. The problem. It, what's the saying? They wouldn't do it if we I, didn't keep buying it. I I I think I own. Do I, I mean, let me see if I. I don't know if I bought. Did I actually buy it? Um, okay, I don't own it yet, but I know I was sitting here thinking I should buy River City Ransom on my on my 3DS, yes. right? But I already own it, like on the Wii, and I I still in this in this apartment have my NES cartridge of it. Wow! But I keep giving them money for the same right. stuff, and it, I it's it's a sickness, you know. And like we're we're giving them like we're opening. You know what it is, right? It's it's a vampire thing, right? The vampire comes knocks on your door, and he's like, "Can you invite me in? Because I can't actually come into your house until you invite me." And we're like, no, I'm not going to let you in. You close the door, right? This is us. The vampire knocks. And, and he's like, hey, can I come in? And you're like, yeah, come on in. Come into my house. Come in and bite me and suck my blood. You know, like, <laughs> that's what we're doing. We're, we're inviting the vampire into our mm. houses. Like we are actively giving them the okay to just suck us of our money. No, I, I'm, 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 I'm letting that soak in. That's why I'm quiet. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that. It's 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 a sickness, and I I I say this as somebody who's right. doing it, you know. Like I am fully supporting them in doing that, and that's that's terrible. But well, let me say this: this is kind of an odd topic. Well, let me just uh, remind fans here: we are out past the three hour and fifteen minute mark. We're pushing one a.m. Uh, I'm going to put a cap on this. Uh, we got nine. Mi- we got oh, nine yes. minutes left. So before <laughs> I okay okay. Yeah, so so you say what you're gonna say, and then I have like one okay, last thing. Okay, so I'll, say I'll close out with uh, I'll do a little plug later on. I'll, I'll go over some other things which we will not get into tonight, and then um, in regards to the uh, the sickness here, uh, let me let me let you go first. You, you say your piece first. Okay, so in in honor in honor of our this episode being about remasters and remakes and everything. And this is off top of our head, so this is not an official list, except it is a totally official list. Uh, I want your your top three games that have never been remastered that you want remastered. Mm. From in any any console, any generation. Oh, for me? What three games would you Oh, yeah. I thought I thought it was for fans. I'm I'm sorry. No, oh. I want it from you. I mean fans can write in. Fans can write in too. So what That's was the fine, question? Three three you. remasters which haven't happened yet that I want? Well, yes. uh, I, well yes. one of them we, we heard earlier this evening, it would definitely be uh, the original Devil May Cry. Um, 
Wow, that's that's a uh, that's. Okay, I'll 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 go one then. Okay, go back and forth. That way we can think. I want Bushido Blade. Well, that would be interesting. Because that that to this day to me has been it was a, that was such a such an interesting fighting game, like so, so weird and so different and so new, and I loved playing that. And like that was back in the era when Square actually knew how to make games other than Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, you know. Um, so I want that I want that game back. Like I just just it could be the exact same game, exact same stage, exact same characters, everything. Just just make it prettier. Put it on the PS4 and the Xbox One and, and I guess Wii U and whatever else and yeah. Give I'll, I'll give you one and we did well we did get an HD of that but I was going to say if they really you know what I'll give you a square one to remake that this was one that entered my mind uh, I'm going to say Einhander hmm it was kind of a, a one-shot, a miracle uh, done by a team that wasn't, uh, they weren't known for shooters, and they created one of the greatest shooters of all time. Um, I don't know why I keep, I don't know why I've got Square on the brain right now, but I would also like to see Tobal 2. That would be. I was thinking that. That would be really interesting, especially nowadays when you have like online fighting and stuff right. like that. That was such a weird fighting game. Yeah, it had a, it had a good grapple system. It, it felt it felt good. It felt good. And that one added like the fireball effects and it had a really good uh artistic direction in that one. It was really smooth. Like the first one ran at 60 frames as well, but the second one just <clears throat> it just looked really good. And obviously that one that that never came stateside. The game I, that I hesitated on that I was going to say that we did get an HD remaster, but I was thinking more of, like, to really go the whole nine yards. Uh, Zone of the Ender Second Runner. Mm. And I am very thrilled that I own that HD collection. But, uh, yeah, I, I would really like to see... I, I said this a long time ago, and I think it was kind of controversial in my own mind, you know. I, I love the Metal Gear series. Um, but I got to tell you in a weird way, like zone the end or second runner. I think that's one of, that's, that's one of Kojima's best. Like, I know he didn't do the whole thing, but like for projects that he was involved in, I I really think that was one of his best works. I have, I have never played the Zoe games. Uh, first one. First one was okay. I beat the first one as well. That came out. That was more out of a desperation when PlayStation Two was hurting for software. Um, there were some parallels to Evangelion in terms of the main character Leo. I thought he was rather annoying in the first one, but I think that was done purposefully, kind of until him, kind of cut him coming into his own. Uh, it was very limited in terms of enemies. Uh, the levels were okay. I always felt the original Zone of the Enders was a great start in terms of, like, the idea. Like, I never felt it was, like, fully realized. And when Zone of the Enders Second Runner came out, that that was, like, in my mind, that was the, that was the game. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, they didn't get to do all that stuff in the first one probably because of time and this and that. But that second one, um, I've always said this. Uh, excluding Virtual On, which I feel is the greatest one-on-one mech 
like fighting game, combat game, in terms of like mech video games, in terms of mission based and, um, you know, with story intermixed. I'm not saying it's a great story, but like just the whole combination of a video game, not a one on one fighting game. I feel Zone mm-hmm. of the Ender's Second Run is the best mech game ever made. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah. That, I mean, that. I'm going to sound weird, but this is going to sound really weird because I'm really anxious. You know, I, I, I'm excited for Metal Gear Solid Five and all that. But I would tell you right now, I, if they were to do a good job and put the right time into it, I would almost tell you that I would be more excited for Zone of the Enders 3 than another Metal Gear. I mean, he's, he's going to tease it's coming, right? That was a while ago, so I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, he's, he's, he's got to get through Silent Hill and, and I mean, <laughs> Metal Gear Solid, Solid 5 first and then get through Silent Hill. What if, what if, like, what if the big twist of Silent Hill is it's, it's Zone of the Enders? That's so stupid and out of line that you could be totally right. <laughs> with the with the with the stuff that they've pulled, um, no, you know what? I, okay, here's my final answer. I've given you like ten answers now. You know what? I'm sorry. Here's the final game that needs an HD remaster. You ready? I've got yes. it now. It's 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 the one. Panzer Dragon Saga. Ah. That's it. That's my final one. That 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 makes that that's, makes sense. Uh, yes. That would be that would be good. But uh, as we uh, wrap up here, oh, hang on! I, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm rushing you. I'm, I'm, you, you I'm getting you off. I'm getting you off stage. One, I'm, I'm, there's the I cane. Only got one choice. I know <laughs> you're like pushing me off. Jeez! <laughs> I just kicked you off stage. So, what, what else uh, were you yeah. thinking to remaster? Well, I was going to say <laughs> uh, the Guardian Legend. Wow. Yes. Have you ever played that? Yeah, I uh, I rented it many years ago. I loved it. I, I I feel like it's deja vu. I must have said this elsewhere. I rented it from an old, probably now defunct video shop on the East Coast, RKO Video. I love that game. Like, I feel like now that we can do more like open worldy kind of stuff, that could be a really, really interesting idea. You know, like, it could be the kind of like the, the Metroid style, like exploring worlds and everything, and then have like the you know the flying kind of space shooter stuff at the same time it's not the exact same premise and i don't there was something i saw from pax south it was an indie game and i don't have the name because i didn't think this discussion would open so for clarification again guardian legend you had it had rpg elements yet it also was a space shooter right yeah because it was it was by compile and so basically you start off and it's like a top-down shooter so you're flying this kind of spaceship through a, a basic, you know, your basic time down shooter stage and you find a boss at the end and stuff. But then you get into this kind of cave and the, the spaceship transforms into this robot girl. And then it's kind of like a Zelda-y uh, adventure game. But then when you, instead of going into like dungeons like you would in Zelda, you, you go into basically top-down shooter mm, right. stages. So it's shooter mixed with adventure. Well, while still still different. There's an indie game in development or slash Kickstarter, but I, it, but it's 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 weird because even though it's Kickstarter, it's it's going to happen. I think it's just coming down to how many tiers. Right now, it's like PC, Linux, Mac, and if it hits other tiers, it'll be uh, 
console and it has it's it's a western developed game in conjunction with some top japanese talents and potential celebrities for voice acting but long story short it's going to be a game that is a point and click adventure for one like for portions of the game and then other aspects are going to be traditional shooter like uh, like like in the vein of like gradius or r-type what, I'll have to get the name. For, I just saw it last night on uh, some uh, hmm. IGN video, so I didn't know this can of worms was going to open. But when you said Guardian Legend mixing RPG and shooter, this was mixing like uh, PC point and click adventure and shooter. It, it looked hmm. pretty cool. It, it was like a more of a pixel style art. Uh, at first, I'm not going to lie. At first, when I first click, I'm like, oh, what is this? It's, what is this stupid uh, crap? But then when I watched the whole thing, I was like, ooh, wait a minute. I saw more of the art. I was like, ooh, this looks pretty good. So what would your uh, what would your final remaster be? So my final remaster would be uh, Star Mazer. Does that sound uh, good? I know the name. It could be from reading. Star Mazer, a space adventure. Point and click, shoot em up, Star Mazer, now on Kickstarter. Oh, 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 oh. I th- you threw me a curveball. I thought you meant to remaster. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. This is the game you're thinking of. Yes. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, because it's it, it's like a totally old school point and click, and yeah, then you're getting the ship, be and it. you're flying like yeah. side scroller. Yep. Uh, no, my third game would be Jet Set Radio Future. Yeah. That. Uh... Because I, I mean, I know, I know, some people will say the first game's better, and I, I still love the first game to death, but. I adore the second game uh, more so than the first, and you can technically still play it on on the uh, yes. 360, but it does have some issues, you know. And I think that giving that like a you know 60 frame per second and just clean up the textures and make it totally high res and everything, that would just be a gorgeous, gorgeous game. And I would so love to play. Yeah, the only reason I hesitated is not because I disagree. It's just you know that. I want to say that G, uh, JSRF still probably looks uh, really good. Yeah, and I, the, the thing is, I, I think <clears> if, it, like, it was a, if it was a PC game, that you could probably have it looking really right. nice on um, like a, a high a high end PC. So I think it's just mostly like the, the kind of getting on a console that isn't just tough to to play still to this point. You know, getting all the social stuff and the sharing and everything, um, and the video recording and and getting it said 60 frames and that right. kind of stuff that I would love to have. Yeah, I always, I always love the design on that game, the soundtrack, uh, everything. I was never into the Tony Hawk scene, no disrespect to it. <clears throat> but when Jet Set came around, that was, you know, that was right up my alley, as I'm sure it was yours, you know, with the whole visual style. Yep. And they came around at a time, I would say, wouldn't you say, like when Japan was still, that was kind of, when I think of the year 2000 or the early 2000s, I feel like that was when Japan was still, uh, not only cult, pop culture, fashion, uh, they were still doing pretty well like in the gaming scene, is that fair to say? Well, certainly when Sega was still Well, yeah, you know what I mean, because right after that, you know, that's kind of when things, you know, we got into the PS2 era, et cetera, as we've discussed in the past, but... Yeah, Jet Set kind of brings when I think Jet Set it um it brings memories of that whole era. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like where Japan was yeah. at the time. 
Uh, on a quick yep. aside, you know what other game when I think of, and it's it's completely different from Jet Set, but gives me similar feelings for some reason. I think it's because of the uh, locations. Um, the world ends with you. Yeah, I I have that. I haven't actually played it yet. I enough. I think you'll love that game. That's what I hear. That's what everybody keeps trying to say. The especially the like fashion aspects, like even though like how to explain it. Not that you see all the visual changes on screen, but I think just the shops aspect, the just the setting. Yeah, I it just the the cool factor. The yeah, that's see uh, that you know it's it's really it's really funny because um it was it was weird for me because I. I think I got into okay. So, what year was Jet Set Radio the first one? Well, Dreamcast hit in '99, um, and they were done in '01. So that had to be yeah. like 2000. Yeah, because I feel I feel like I was getting into both Jet Set Radio and Shenmue after I'd gone to Japan just for a little bit, which was in summer 2001. Mm. Or maybe so. Maybe it was just a case of me playing them more when I got back. But I remember having these really crazy bouts of like homesickness isn't the right word, but like, cause you know, when you only go somewhere for a month, it's still very exciting right. and everything. And you know, you a month's long enough that you starting to get used to living there and then you have to kind of come back. <laughs> and, and so I played both jet set radio and Shenmue and it's like, Oh my God, I'm like back in Japan. And this is really freaking me out. And it's making me sad. Cause I want to be there for real, right. you know? Uh, it was just crazy because those two games, like, just for the time, I mean, you know, you look at the back of them now and it's not so much, but for the time, they were just, like, so well-developed in terms of, of creating those kind of worlds that that it was just so weird, like, kind of the emotional reaction it caused inside of me in terms of, wow, I've, like, I've been to places just right. like this, you know. I think you're going to, f- you will feel a little bit of that in The World Ends With You. You're gonna get hmm. a little bit of that, yeah. But um, as we wrap up here for fans, I want to thank fans again. Uh, there were some topics, subtopics which we did not delve into this evening on Generic Video Game Podcast episode six, an episode about remakes. Um, for down down the road, um, maybe we'll get into a little bit more of uh, just how. Uh, Santa Claus treated us this past year, if we got anything exciting. Um, I also wanted to pitch the the question to fans. Would they like us to cover um, maybe any modern day or any anime we've been watching? Uh, that doesn't mean we'll be dissecting the whole animation industry and every uh, title that's out there. But just to give food for thought, uh, titles that I am up and up on. Uh, currently, due to Crunchyroll and, and uh, Hulu Plus, things such as Parasite, Terraformers, um, I've just started the, the brand new anime is uh, Assassination Classroom. Um, there are some Blu-ray re-releases that could possibly warrant discussion. Is that something that would interest you people? And this is very funny that I bring it up because this was not planned. I saw on Shidoshi's Twitter recently... Uh, some tweets about anime fan, which uh, I found ironic because I had written this down on my notes a few weeks ago. So 
it seems like the topic of anime was on Shidoshi's mind as well. I tell you what, listeners, you pay us twenty dollars. <laughs> this is coming from a conversation right. that we had before the show. You pay us twenty dollars, and we will watch any anime you want us to watch, and then we'll we'll do a, a small segment on that. Could be unit. such a double edged sword. They could make our lives hell. I know, I know. That's that, that's that's the fun part of it, though. And then uh, outside of the uh, potential anime discussions, um, send us. Uh, feel free to send us um, feedback, as much feedback as you want. And we have been getting some at radio.morningproject. Uh, don't forget, you can send us feedback uh, not only over there, but you can find us on Twitter. Uh, myself, Anthony, that's at 24bit, A-J-E, the number two, the number four, uh, B-I-T-A-J-E. Co-host Shidoshi at Picoeri. That's P-I-K-O-E-R-I. I believe the email address we're still using, uh, at least temporarily, is... It changed. Ooh. No, it's in, the, it's in the notes. It's different. Ooh, what is it now? Okay, it's uh, gvgp at morningproject.com. Ooh, I'll have to change my notes. So, gvgp yep, so, so, at morningproject.com. Yep. And then... Uh, and if you, if you have any suggestions for... Because I think we've gotten a couple of suggestions for uh, ideas for, for topics for future shows. You know, the way we always do things is we have kind of like the first half, which is just generic chat. And then the second half is kind of like a topic. So if you do have any suggestions for topics you want us to touch on uh, in the future, just let uh, us know at that email address. I mean, you can also tweet us as well, but if you email us, then we know for sure. And... If you email us for anything, and it can be anything, it can be topic suggestions, it can be questions, it can be just, you know, thoughts on the show or responses to something we said or whatever, um, just do me a favor and make the title something that stands out. Oh, so we know it's not spam or junk. Just, yeah, just to be safe. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hoping things will be better with this new email address, but, you know, don't be like, hello, or hi there, okay. or, you know... <laughs> Or Russian right. bride for you, right. or anything like that. You know, uh, make it something that will will you know, like GV like write GVGP or you know. Well, no, because that if if we got spam and the email address is GVGP at, they would know the GVGP part. So just write a title that if I see it, I'll like. Oh, this is for the show. You know, right. So like topic suggestion for future show or. Uh, I think Shidoshi was totally wrong about Resident Evil HD, something like that, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, um, just food for thought, uh, would you like to maybe hear down uh, in future episodes, maybe one of us or both of us reviewing a piece of hardware or accessory or art book as an example, um, as I'm into a lot of Udon stuff and various game-related stuff, could be comic-related or art book-related. Uh, maybe as we alluded to the Nyko hard drive add-on piece earlier, just food for thought. Um, Are you making me buy that? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, the Nyko piece. Do I have piece? to buy that? Yeah, no. do I have to buy that now? <laughs> so yeah, maybe uh, maybe have a segment uh, where we discuss something like that. And lastly, for now, I'm just looking through everything I've got. Uh, oh, and I'm just going to do a quick couple shout-outs, uh, and then and then I'll be done. And there's a couple new fans I always like seeing, uh, or maybe not literally seeing, but because this is all done through avatars and nicknames online, but you know what I mean. 
saw some new uh, faces, so to speak, uh, voicing um, uh, a little bit of praise and thanks for the show. Uh, one of them, I think, was on NeoGAF 16-bit. And then there was a person on Twitter, Soup or Man. I think that Twitter handle just changed recently uh, to Soup or Man. So I just wanted to thank him for the very kind words. I he knows know what he said. And mm-hmm. then um, we won't really delve into this now, but 16-bit on NeoGAF said uh, he finished listening to the latest GVGP. Amusing as always. Uh, he remembers the one-off game go. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, surprised neither Shidoshi nor Anthony pointed out the most obvious reason print media like magazines thrive more in the UK and Japan versus the USA. Shipping isn't such a logistical nightmare since the land masses are much smaller. Yeah, and then that's fair. You know, uh, yeah, not, yeah. So. It's the same thing with like public transportation or broadband or right. things like that. Our, our country's our country's too damn big. I was going to make another excuse though, but not I'm not educated in that realm. But I was going to say, but on the flip side, while their landmass may be a lot easier uh, logistically, wouldn't you think there'd be more of an issue with the various languages and their publications? I think that probably is tougher, definitely in in Europe. I mean, like if you're like in the UK or whatever. Right. I, that's pretty concentrated still, but I, I, I mean, I gotta believe Europe, Europe's like a total bitch for releasing stuff because you have just so many languages and such right. small clusters. Right. I mean, because I, I know just how tough it is sometimes for companies just getting the, you know, French requirements for things in Canada. Man. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That's right. That's a good point. But, so. uh, but once again, I want to thank our listeners hanging in there for the support. Uh, as we are entering, uh, we're getting getting kind of close to our one year anniversary here at the Generic Video Game Podcast. We're getting about seven, Is eight it months already? in. Um, that can't be true, can it? If you consider that we're almost in February, has it been that long? When, okay, wait. When was the first? We are approximately eight months in. Okay, our first episode went was... up first oh week my of June. God. We recorded the last week of May. That is crazy. Can you believe that? Wow. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, June 1st was the first episode. Yep, and uh, I know I've been saying this uh, time and time again. Uh, It is true. We do truly intend to have Terry Wolfinger on for part two of two for his Mm -hmm. interview. We still have my uh, spot bookmarked as to where we left off. Uh, We do plan to have some other guests down the road now that we're in 2015. The holidays are over. People's schedules are opening up uh, and getting more serious once again. Uh, I believe we we also may have an interesting interview. It will be interesting for Jidoshi as well. We may have Neil of Bauer Graphics on. Uh, see what that's he, just that, that's just like, I know, that's like meta. That's just too, too meta ness thing. And like I said, there's some other people um, that I like to have on. So it takes time. Uh, I'm always sending feelers out, having discussions on the side. It's all a matter of timing and uh, crossing the T's and dotting the I's. So I want to thank everyone for listening. We hope to make the show as best as possible and to improve and to to do our due diligence, the best note-taking as possible. And uh, thank you for downloading, listening, showing your support. And for Shidoshi and myself, Anthony, until next time. Oh, do I say bye? I guess I say bye.
What is this? Wow! What a mansion! Captain Wesker, where's Chris? Stop it! Don't open that door! But Chris is... What is it? Maybe it's Chris. Now, Jill, can you go? I'm going with you. Chris is our old partner, you know. Okay, let me handle this. Stay alert! Dining room. What? What is this? What is it? Blood. Jill, see if you can find any other clues. I'll be examining this. Hope this is not Chris's blood. Barry? What is... Let me take care of this. What is it? Kenneth was killed too. Maybe by this creature. Anyway, let's report this to Wesker. It can't be helped. Let's search for him separately. I'll check the dining room again. Okay. I'll try the door on the opposite side. This mansion is gigantic. We could get into trouble if we get lost. We should start from the first floor, okay? And... Jill, here's a lockpick. It might be handy if you, the master of unlocking, take it with you. Thanks. Maybe I'll need it. Listen, if something happens, let's meet up in this hall. This time, I'll be there. Jill, what's going on? Any clues? No, but something's wrong with this house. Whoa, this hall is dangerous. Maybe it's better to secure our escape route first. There must be a back door somewhere. Let's try to find it first, shall we? Okay. Let's separate again. Just a moment. I found something. What is it? It's a weapon. It's really powerful, especially against living things. Better take it with you. But how about you, Barry? I have this. Thank you. I'll take this then.